My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, and community leader guiding men in biblical masculinity, marriage, and fatherhood. Please welcome Lawson Speaks Truth. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. As you've heard me say many times before, men, we're at war. In most cases, though, the war is not with individual men and women, but with institutions. Think of institutions as giant meta-technologies humanity has spent millennia engineering. Take the legal profession, for example. It's made up of thousands of years of case law, which are just ideas documented in libraries of books. The justice system is part of this too, which is comprised of individuals like police, judges, lawyers, bailiffs, and court recorders. There are formal bureaucratic processes and informal traditions, like standing when a judge enters the room. Plus, there are buildings like courthouses, jails, and prisons, and these are just a few examples. That is an institution, a technology made of other technologies. That is who we, as men and women, are at war with. This institution has declared war on us, which I believe began in earnest in 2020, and it's just one of many. Government, media, finance, medicine, transportation, even sports are the same. There are only three responses to this declaration of war. Surrender, fight back individually, and fight back collectively by building new institutions. Most Americans have chosen surrender, many choosing to join the side of the institutions. This is what the people formerly known as liberals have done. For the rest of us men, fighting back individually is the only viable choice until we can fight back collectively. It's the classic story of Goliath thundering onto the battlefield. The battle might seem overwhelming, even impossible to the most experienced soldier, until David joins the battle and shows what courage, skill, and faithfulness combined with God's blessing can accomplish. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Lawson Speaks Truth, and he's a fiery and inspiring content creator and community leader, guiding men in biblical masculinity, fatherhood, and courtship. I've followed him on Instagram for a while and been impressed by how straightforward and powerful his content is. It's challenging, but not in a men-do-hard-things kind of way, rather in a way that calls men to a higher standard. And after having spoken to him during this podcast for almost three hours, I can see he doesn't just call men to that higher standard, he works hard to embody it himself, and I believe that is where the power of his content comes from. As you'll hear, he lives like his beliefs are true. His faith touches the ground and roots itself firmly in the earth, even against the opposition of an institution. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This will likely be one of the most challenging episodes of my podcast you've ever heard. You'll hear an example of what it means to stand, truly stand for what we believe in. 
and my hope is that you'll get a glimpse of David striding onto his own personal battlefield and what that might mean for you on yours. In our conversation, Lawson and I discussed home birth versus hospital birth, men being emasculated by the system, how to lead your wife in crisis, hardening yourself against the world, faithfulness in the small things, denominationalism, sectarianism, and eschatology, and the two sides of Christ and God. Lawson is also a speaker at the first edition of my new Renaissance of Men digital conference series. This will be an all-day event on Saturday, March 25th, streamed live via Zoom, where my guests will discuss six vital virtues that inform what it means to be a man. Lawson will be discussing the virtue of determination. I chose that one for him instinctively, based on my evaluation of his content, and man, am I glad I did. Because during this podcast, you'll get a sample of what he has to share. And if Lawson is setting the standard, it's going to be an amazing day. The lineup also features Will Nolan from Nolan Knows discussing resilience, Ryan King from The Wisdom of Kings discussing heroism, Nate Spearing from the Life on Target podcast discussing courage, King David, now known as John David, discussing self-mastery, and last but not least, Mike Pantile discussing boldness. This is our Blitzkrieg offensive to bring the virtue pill to men around the world. I hope you'll join us and be a part of it. Keep listening to find out more or visit renofmen.com slash conference to buy tickets. Use the code podcast to take $5 off the ticket price. And please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, a husband, father, and leader we all can learn from. Lawson Speaks Truth. Hey, Lawson, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely, Will. Glad to be here, brother. I've been looking forward to connecting with you for a while, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've got, I've got some questions for you that um, I'm super curious about, because you embody and you represent a lot of things, that uh, a stage of life that I'm looking forward to getting to, and I think that's probably true for lots of men. Awesome. I appreciate that. Well, so I think, I think the f- where I want to start, uh, if, it, if it's okay with you, we can just like dive right in. Sure. Um, because I think a lot, of the, a lot of the men and women who listen to my podcast have kind of gotten the vibe that now is not the best time to be trusting institutions anymore. But the one thing that people um, naturally, instinctively kind of hold on to is like, got to go to the hospital to have our babies, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and oh, you, yeah. you've been very open about, about doing home birth and all that. And it's been one of the most incredible things to see. This is outside of my experience. So I wonder if we can just just dive right into it and start there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. the decision process behind that, what that's been like, you know, for you and your wife and that whole, and that whole thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously before becoming a father, I had zero experience in that. Uh, I'm not <laughs> right. a medical professional. And so, uh, I don't know if you need any kind of disclosure, but obviously anything I say is not medical advice. Um, yeah. So for me, I guess me personally, it started with my mother. So my mom, she had me in a hospital. So I was born in a hospital, but without medication. Mm. And so, um, me and my brother, both, neither of us were born with medication. I remember her expressing to us how big of a deal that was to her and Mm -hmm. how she felt more of a connection with us during that experience because of that. And then fast forward to when I married my wife, Bernadine, she had an even, I guess, a more elevated experience where she was born at home and there was supposed to be a midwife coming, but the midwife was late. And so her father actually delivered her there 
I don't know. I think it was like on the kitchen table or something. <laughs> it was so metal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. So uh, she had grown up with the same mentality, and then you know we had a uh, we had actually been introduced. Just even for me, it was just in pieces to a documentary called "The Business of Being Born," and it's funny. I've never actually watched the entire documentary all the way through. I just seen clips of it, but the clips that I saw really spoke to me. That, when I guess if you rewind just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, my dad was really influential for me specifically um, when it comes to um, trusting the Lord for healing and natural methods. So whether that be herbs or essential oils or different things like that, basically not running to the doctor for just anything, um, not trusting in big pharma. And so I kind of had a little bit of a background in understanding that God had designed our bodies to heal themselves. And that through the blood of Jesus, even beyond what our natural ability was, that God had provided healing through the cross for us, that by his wounds, we were healed. And so um, when we get to the point that we're married and we're having, uh, having children of our own, we, we were introduced to this documentary. And so it wasn't that big of a stretch for me to understand that if there are chemicals in uh, so-called medicines that are supposed to be helping us, but that are actually harming us, then why would I want to inject my wife with something when she's most vulnerable in a moment where she and my child are exchanging fluids and you know they're in this this very vulnerable moment yeah why would i want to do that if i won't even take something like that for for me like a headache Mm -hmm. and so this documentary what really went into the concept that being born has been turned into a business for profit and so what really motivated me was i am called by god to protect my family i am called by god to ensure not only that i have children but that they are protected from the wiles of the devil. They're protected from the world and its harshness, and that they are able to grow into a place where they are strong enough to go out into the world on their own. And so to allow my child to be placed in the hands of someone who's, and I'm not saying every doctor, but the institutions behind it, whose intention is not to protect and care for that newborn infant, my own flesh and blood, but is to make pure profit off it is uh, is something that I was just not willing to do. And so when you when you begin to understand what they do, you understand that there are many women that end up having C sections that would not have had a C section because they call it a uh, what I'm trying to remember what they call it. It's like a hierarchy of of, uh, of like escalation basically. So mm-hmm. you start off and you're in you're in a room with a bunch of people you don't know and you strip down naked and you got bright lights shining on you and you're getting poked and you're getting prodded and your stress is shooting through the roof and your whole body is closing up saying, Hey, I don't feel safe at a moment when your body's supposed to be opening up, feeling safe to deliver this child. And basically that leads to one thing after another that eventually can lead to a dangerous situation and generally will require a cesarean, a C-section, that mm-hmm. could put your child at more risk. Sorry, I know so that's based, a ton all at once. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like, you, like it's, it's, you just said a whole bunch of fantastic things that I want to follow up on all of them at sure, once. Sure. But, so uh, to make sure if I understand, I mean, this, this, sounds, this sounds very familiar. 
because I've been saying for a while, when I was in 2017, I think it was, I read a really formidable, uh, formative book for me called Medical Mafia. And it oh, basically explains, yeah. it's a great, it's a great book. You can, I don't know that you can buy it on Amazon or if you can, it's like $200 or something like that. Oh but, uh, yeah. I mean, not, not because like the book is worth that much, just because like, you know, supply and demand and how gotcha. Amazon's yeah, algorithm yeah. works, but it's from a former, I think it's written by a former doctor who talks about uh, the sort of medical cartel that it has become really a business for profit. And out of that, I'm not sure if it was this doctor's phrase or if this is what I came up with in response, but I say, we don't have a healthcare industry. We have a war on illness industry mm. and yeah, that's pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Pregnancy is treated as an illness. Like the mother is experiencing a condition and we need to relieve her of the condition. And the condition just happens to be another little human. Right. right? But, yeah. but that, that explains why they would escalate the hierarchy of, of treatments. It's like, no, this is a birth. It's not a condition she's experiencing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's really interesting that you say that because our, the first, our first child, our, our oldest daughter was born at home with a midwife. And so we've had free births since then, but the first was with a midwife. Actually, the first three were with, were with midwives. And thank God, the one that we got had the right mentality and the right philosophy. And she really ingrained in us and taught us that this is natural. This is normal. This is normal. This is God's design. And really instilled in Bernadine instead of fear, but complete trust in her body that this is how God has designed you. Like you said, this is not this is not some freaky, scary thing. And and when you really consider this, how many movies, TV shows, etc., have you seen where the birth experience is like a horror movie? It's it's the most traumatic thing you can imagine. And then these little girls are growing up at 10, 11, 12, 14, up through their teens, seeing this portrayed this way in the media. And you ask many of them, you know, oh, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? All these kind of, and if, if you get to, to marriage and get to kids, if, if you even get that far, many of them will say, either I don't want kids or I am terrified of having children. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine going through that. Well, the that that they're imagining is what they saw on the screen portrayed by Hollywood that in, is intentionally terrifying them. And if you're that scared and you don't know what to do and it's going to be that horrible, then man, I better go to a doctor that has the profession, that has the experience, that has the head knowledge to save me if I end up on accident in this horrible situation that, oh God, I, I guess I have to if I'm going to have a kid, mm -hmm. but I hope it doesn't happen. And so really there, there's almost like this escalation that happens way before the woman is actually in the, the delivery room. It actually starts way early in their life where, and it's really a, a combination of things, you know, uh, if we, you can get into part of it being feminism, part of it being, you know, as you said, institutions, you go high enough. There are people out there that don't want us to have children. There are people out there yeah. that don't want strong families and they want to break the bond between man and wife, between man and woman. And what better way to do that than to take the most intimate act possible that from that act produces your own bloodline, your flesh and blood, your precious child, and make that a point of division that if I have a child, you know, how many times have we heard this joke? It's your fault. You did this to me. You made me go through this and yeah. I'm suffering because of it. When it really started way back when she was 11 years old, watching these TV shows, building a almost a, uh, a seed of trauma deep inside 
building up this reality. It's going to be this way. And then it is. It does end up being that way because it's been so deeply rooted for so many, possibly decades in this young woman that uh, she gets to that place and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I remember. And it's, and it's, a, it's traumatic. It is. I mean, especially as you watch, doesn't matter whether you watch dramatic movies, romantic comedies, action movies, <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah. it's all over the place. So yeah. the romantic comedy, Absolutely. they play it for laughs, but she's screaming like, you did this to me, you know? And it's right. like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just pure pain and suffering. And, and, and it would, I, I, it's funny. I've never really thought of it that way before, but it must be very scary to a young girl to think that this thing that, you know, God designed your body to do would be right. ridiculed, first of all, ridiculed and then caricatured and made into this horrific experience rather than something to be treasured. And yeah, you'll get the the Absolutely, shot afterwards. Yeah. Like, oh, it was all worth it. But the experience right. leading up to it, like you, it almost doesn't pay off. It can't pay off enough for the little girl watching this, right? Right. Absolutely. And it would no for sure. Go ahead. Yeah. And we've had the discussion like with 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 our daughter. So she our daughter was present for our third birth, our oldest daughter. And um I'm sorry, it was her fourth birth. And that was uh, our first free birth. So all of our children were there. And it was the most peaceful, mm. blissful, wonderful experience for everyone, including the littlest toddler all the way up. I think that my daughter was eight years old at the time. And, and she asked the question, you know, mom, you got a little loud. Did it hurt? And the way that my wife has always described it is it's, and I'm not saying that no woman ever has pain, but the way that my wife has described it, having had this, this seed of not trauma, but of hope and yeah. expectation placed in her was, no, it wasn't pain. She says, I describe it as pressure. So there's a lot of intense pressure, but if you trust your body and you, you flow with it, instead of fighting against it, it's not pain. And in fact, um, the little bit that you would call pain, they call it like, like right when the head is about to crown, they call it the ring of fire. And with this last, our last child that was, was born just uh, five months ago was also a free birth here at home. And she said that I feel like I was so in tune even more with this one than ever. Like each, each time it gets better that there wasn't even a ring of fire. Mm. And so she, she has not had any pain, zero medication. And Yes, the moment can get intense, and yes, even as a husband, you're, you're thinking, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I ebb? How do I flow with this with her? But never has she described it to me as something fearful. Now there are moments where it's overwhelming. Yeah. There's moments where she says, you know, I don't know if I can continue, but she's always described it as pressure and not pain. And so I, I do believe that some women do experience pain for different reasons. However, just like the C-section thing, I think more would not experience that pain if they were allowed to have more of a natural flow early on and see it as a, as a natural thing, as a safe and um, beautiful thing that they can look forward to. And so like with my daughter, she's asked the question you know, a couple of times, you know, what is it like and, and is there pain? She talks all the time. She cannot wait. I cannot wait to be a mama. I can't. She wants. She, she's always taking care of her little sisters and always spending time with them. And she she has a notebook and she writes out her names. You know, this is what I want my son's names to be, and this is what I want my daughter's names to be. You know, I cannot wait to have you know to 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 do what y'all are doing. I want to be like y'all. And so it's a complete different paradigm from the concept of 
fear-based life, you know, fear-based experience that can really spread into every other area of life to a place of hopeful expectation that God placed me on this earth and he chose me to either be a man or a woman. And yes, there's only two. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, he, he, he prepared for me. He knows. He knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. He knows the children he's going to be sending to, to, the, to the young lady before she's even born herself. You know, that, that little girl, while she's in her mother's womb, the eggs inside of her are being formed. Yeah. And so God already knows. God already has it planned. And so anyways, I've just been able to experience from the, of course, I mean, we're two men talking about this, but from, from, the, from the male perspective, so many men have told me, you know, I would be terrified. I would pass out. There's no way I could do it. And it really sh- goes to show you how emasculated the system wants us to be. That not only does the system want to rip the femininity away from women to trust their own bodies, it wants to rip away the leadership ability of a man to care for his wife and trust in himself that he is able to be there for his wife in that moment. And, you know, I know that in previous generations, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe back in the fifties and I don't know, I don't know exactly when the shift occurred, but men wouldn't be in the delivery room. Right. And, and it's, it's kind of odd because if you, if you go just a little further back before that, there were no delivery rooms. And so you have this gap of time where men are completely separated from the experience of their child being born. And I think that it's really important that in some way, even if he's not, you know, the one actually catching the baby or doing the whole thing, that he is present and that he is able to be there to stand in the gap for his wife, because in that moment, she's not able to focus on anything else. And so really to be able to be a leader, and if you are in a a hospital situation, especially if it ends up being an actual emergency situation, to be her advocate and stand in the gap for her and say, okay, here's where we draw the line. This is what we will do and this is what we will not do. And being able to be a leader in that situation, because if you can't be a leader for your child, you know, in, in the very first moments of life, you know, it almost sets a precedent to try to stop you from being a leader in, in the rest of life. And so I really think that that's, that's a part of the system is, you know, the, these, uh, the, the systems that have been created. It, it's really interesting. The people that have done it have been at this for a very, very long time. And they're yeah. very smart people that are very aware of what they're doing. And it, it's no, it's no uh, coincidence or accident that the man is removed, the woman is vulnerable, the child is subjected to, you know, multiple things, especially if it's a male immediate circumcision along with multiple, multiple shots mm-hmm. that are full of all kinds of things that are damaging, separation from the mother, cold experience, uh, you know, bright and then the babies, yeah, the babies under those bright lights and, and, and all of that. And so yeah. it, it, it starts a life of trauma. And so for us, I don't know, maybe looping back to the original question, it was more of, you know, there are many areas of our life where we, you know, said, Hey, it stops with us, you know, the, the generational issues, whether people, you know, feel whether theologically that's a generational curse or just a generational problem, whatever you want to call it, that we are going to take a stand and say no more. That if Christ, if genuinely, if Jesus paid it all, then he paid it all. And we're going to stand on that promise and we're going to say, okay, that ends with us. And so for us, 
all these different traumatic things. Not that we've been perfect, but when we've recognized them and we've said, okay, this is something that was damaging. This was something that was, that opened a door to further problems down the road for us or for our parents or our grandparents, that we're going to cut that off at the very beginning right now. And I've told my children, there, I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive there will be things that we have done that have not been 100%. And I absolutely want you to go the extra mile. And I want you to break that off even better. Because, you know, I, if, if, I want my ceiling to be your floor. Wherever I've started, you know, I don't want you to start there. I want you to step on my shoulders and be catapulted even further. And so I guess to throw out there like, hey, you know, somebody listening, well, I didn't have a natural birth or, you know, Maybe they say, well, you know, I circumcised my son or, well, we did these shots or we did these different things. Okay. But what are you going to do now? Yeah. Where, where, where does it, where does it stop being? It's almost like the issue of abortion in many churches. We don't want to talk about it because there might be someone in the crowd who's had one. Well, what is worse? The person in the crowd who's had one having to encounter the reality of the sin and the trauma and maybe actually being healed and delivered from it or ignoring the issue and allowing more young women possibly completely unaware of what's actually happening. Now, there are some people out there who are pure evil who understand what it is, but there are also some people who, who have been lied to and they don't understand what's happening. They, they're even told, well, you're not, you don't actually have a baby in there yet. It's not formed yet. It's not there yet. And which is worse? Do we, do we, do we really fear that much offending people that we will not, will allow others to die so that we don't offend someone? You know, I had sin before I became a Christian. I have sin now. Mm -hmm. Now, it's my job, obviously, the Bible says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. But we have an advocate. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And the advocate is Jesus. But if I, if I live my life saying, well, don't talk about the sins that I lived in before Christ, then what I'm doing is I'm saying I didn't really need Christ to deliver me from those sins. And I'm opening the door to others to be destroyed by those sins. And so none of what I'm saying is just to point the finger and say, hey, you know, you, you did wrong and look how perfect we have everything together. Not by any means. Rather, what I'm saying is that in my life, my family's line, we have seen hell. We have agreed with hell in, in many places throughout the line but Jesus has come in and he has changed that and he has changed the, the trajectory of our family. And what fools would we be to say, well, you can only come this far. You can only change this much in my life. And so really what I want to say is don't be discouraged if you have some things in your life that don't match up because just because we may have natural birth you know, all together. And we, we, we understand and we're talking about that doesn't mean we have everything else down together. And so what I want to encourage is if, if you're in a place where you say, okay, I haven't, well, maybe next time you can, maybe next time you can, maybe next time you can say, you know what we realized and we made, and that will speak more to your children that, you know what, we had a place in our life where we made some mistakes, but once we knew we, we, we stuck our feet in the ground and we made a difference and we changed it. And I think that resonates with children more 
than a false idea of perfection. So anyways, I just want to encourage, if, if you're listening, if you're hearing this, don't think, well, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do these things the way that's being outlined, so this, this has nothing for me. No, we all have to make the decision where we are right now to be, to be the one that says no more. And so even, even with this, I think that it's very important. It's our job as fathers to protect our children, especially when they're most, most vulnerable. You know, when my son is 30, he's still going to be my son. It's still going to be my job to pour into him. It's still going to be my job to advocate for him, but he will never be more vulnerable than when he was in my wife's womb. He will never be more vulnerable than in that moment of birth or in that gap when he's an infant. And it's my job to protect him. And it's interesting that there's almost like a, a, an odd perspective being pushed online right now that fathers should not be there for their children until, let's say, the boy is 10 or 12 or whatever, and he's grown up, and now it's time to be a man. It's your job to model manhood for that child, male or female, showing the man that they'll become or the man that they'll marry from the time that they're born. It's your job to defend them. And so this is something I'm very passionate about because there have been points in our life where our children's safety was challenged very early. And had I not been there, had it had just been my wife, they would not be in a safe place possibly today. And so it's our job as fathers to stand up for them. I'm celebrating everything that you just said. It's incredibly important. And that's you mentioned earlier that it's you know it's a couple of men talking about pregnancy and 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 sure, sure. And, and I and I get that, but at the same time, every this is leadership, right? Absolutely. This is this is leadership. When when your when your wife is at her most vulnerable and you're you're being faced with the decision of taking on the responsibility of leading or putting your uh, your wife's life, your baby's life, and 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 the future, we'll say mental and emotional and perhaps even spiritual sure. health yeah. of your child in the hands of an institution that has demonstrated conclusively over the past three years, if anyone was paying attention, that they don't actually care about people's lives, that they absolutely absolutely don't care. And so, and so now I know um, that it's very scary for a lot of, for a lot of men and for a lot of women, the thought of like, wait, you mean we have to do this ourselves? And, and, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation is like, yeah, what if, what if, because I see it as part of a much larger conversation around sovereignty you know that's a big sure. theme of everything that I talk about being sovereign from systems of 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 uh, of, of wealth creation. So, for example, entrepreneurship, being right. sovereign from the Federal Reserve system, being sovereign for the food production system, being Absolutely. sovereign, you know, from the medical in- system. And and as men, we need to be thinking about all this stuff because I think as we'd all probably agree who are listening, yeah. if you look at the direction things are going, it does not seem like it's going high speed in our best interest. Right. right. And yeah. so this is a moment where it's like, you know, God willing, every man and woman listening will have the chance to experience this blessed moment. Who do you want to trust with this moment? Right. Can you trust yourself with this moment? Can you trust God with this moment? Right. And if you can't, can you trust the medical industry? This is a question we all have to learn to answer for ourselves. Right. And I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm pushing an answer, even though I probably already have. But that's why I wanted to have this <laughs> sure. conversation. That's why yeah. I wanted to have this conversation because you embody this spirit of leadership in so many different dimensions that I think men would need to see modeled for themselves. They need to hear it modeled for themselves. Sure. Yeah. And that, and that's, it's interesting. You know, you were saying 
I mean, obviously, it, it is scary. I mean, th- it, there's no doubt that it's scary. But the question is, will you let it be scary for a moment? Or will you let it snowball into a situation of fear and trauma? And, hmm. you know, for me, there are moments in every birth that we've had where I think, okay, in my head, I'm thinking, I think that this is where she's at in the process. And then some time goes and I think, okay, I I thought she was a little further than this, right? Hmm. And there's always this thought that wants to creep in. Like, what if things are not okay? What if things are, are not fine? And obviously you want to do your due, di- your due diligence. You want to make sure that you have the supplies that you need. You want to make sure that you've studied, that, you've, that you understand the process of what's happening and all of this. I mean, obviously you don't just jump into this headlong unprepared unless you absolutely have to. And then I guess you're in a situation where you have to trust God either way. <laughs> but there will be moments in this process where you don't know. You're on the outside as the man. You don't know what she's feeling. You don't know what she's going through other than what she's telling you or what she's showing on her face. But that's life in general. You know, if you go to apply for a job, there are going to be moments where you're not sure if things are going as well as you hope that it would. If, if, you, if you're driving down the road and suddenly traffic is stopped and, you know, you have to make a quick decision, you're not sure exactly what to do in that moment. You've got to do something in that moment. Yep. You have to do something in that moment. And so this is not something exclusive to the situation where, you know, it's like this kind of weird, you know, heebie-jeebie thing where you, you know, just, you know, trust in, <laughs> you trust, you're trusting, you know, the vibes or something. <laughs> the, the, trust the vibes. This is, this is life. And this is mm-hmm. something that I know personally has grounded me more than anything in my leadership with my family. Because if I can be in tune with my wife and what she's feeling in her body and in her mind and in tune with the Lord and be, be that connection there where, where I'm listening to her, I'm, li- I'm praying to the Lord for help, I, I, I'm listening to Him. If I can lead well in that moment, then I can lead well in any moment. And what I've noticed in those situations when, when you're there and your wife is, is, is in that moment and you're, and you're, it's not something that you have to do. It's something that you have to be. She needs you to be something for her. And that's something that I've really learned about leading my wife and my children in general is that it's not always you having to do something. Sometimes they just need you to be there for them. They need to know that you're strong. And in those moments when my wife was giving birth, she was looking to me not to have all the answers. How dilated am I? You know, you know, what's my heart rate? What's this? What's that? She needed to know that I was there and I wasn't going anywhere, that my heart was immovable and that I knew in my heart of hearts that this was going to work and that God was with us and this baby was going to come out healthy. And her knowing that I was there and that nothing was going to shake me allowed her to be more in tune with herself and more in tune with her God to the point, boom, every time, every time that I felt, man, it almost feels like something's stalling. It feels like it's taking too long. But I just stood through that moment. It's 
unbelievable how quick that baby would come right after that because it was just it was almost like what was happening is she was looking for the bedrock she was looking not only physically for my hand but for something to hold on to to know things are going to be okay and that's how it is in life with everything that happened like you said of the last few years we have to stand for our, for our families even now there are many things right now that are uncertain and the Lord told us that it would be like this. He talks about the wise man building his house. Both the wise man and the foolish man both build a house and they both get the storm, but one house stands. And whenever you are firmly grounded and you know who your God is, you know who you are, you know where he has placed you in your family. It doesn't matter if you have all the intellectual answers, even though that's important to, to seek out and to study in all areas of life. But if you know that he has placed you in this position of authority, it's not just simply to order around, though that does happen. You have the right to stand for your family. You have the right to protect them. You have the right to defend them. You have the right to make decisions on their behalf that you know will protect them and make them well. And you also have the right to lean on someone who has a greater right than you, your head, your authority, the Lord Jesus, and you have the right to trust him that if he said something is going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And so, you know, we actually recorded, um, not this last one, but the one before, we recorded the home birth. And there was a moment that people have told me, hey, this really meant a lot to me when you said this. And in the moment, I had forgotten, you know, that we were even recording. It was just like, you know, my, my wife really hit a moment where she was kind of, you know, breaking down and she was kind of weeping a little bit, you know, saying, this is hard. And I was just telling her, God is with us. God is with us. And that really is something that in this time with wars, rumors of wars, all the kind of chaos going on. And of course, that sounds like an eschatological you know, point there. But regardless of what your view is on that or anybody's view on that, with everything going on right now, sorry, my screen zoomed out. Sorry. You back? I'm here. All right. With everything going on, it's it's very important that we are able to reach in and understand who we are and who placed us where we are. Because if he placed us there, if he's the one that made that decision, then it doesn't matter if I feel confident. It doesn't matter if I feel qualified. It doesn't matter what hell is breaking loose against me or what I'm facing. If he placed me there, then he knows what he's doing and he will achieve what he sent me to achieve. Because the scripture tells us that whenever his word goes into the earth, it does not return to him empty. It does not return to him void. And when he sent his son, the word made flesh, what he sent him to do, he accomplished. And so the verse that really sticks out in my mind is that after doing all you can to stand, stand. And sometimes that's, that's all you can do is just stand. But when you stand there in God's authority, as, as the head of your wife, as the leader of your family, and you stand, something miraculous can happen. Demons flee, chains break, miracles happen simply because you are where God told you to be. I am standing for my wife and my children because he told me to, and he told me that I can. And if I do that and trust him, he'll show up. He'll show up every time. Because the Holy Spirit confirms his word with signs. And if he said, I'm the head of my wife, then I'm the head of my wife. 
If he said that I have the right to make decisions for my family, then I have the right to make decisions for my family. And he will confirm that decision with signs and he will show up. He will show up. And so I can tell you a little bit of this right now and then I can kind of check in with my wife and see what she thinks, you know, if she feels comfortable or not. But it's just on my heart just to share, even if it's just with you. Um, but please, by all means, um, our third, our third child, uh, our daughter. So she was born at a birth center and this birth center had midwives. And this was our last time going with a midwife. This was a, a big, a big reason for this. And she was born perfectly fine, perfectly healthy. Well, after she was born and the next morning, you know, you get to sleep there and you wake up the next morning and they come in and they say, well, um, you know, we, we need to go ahead and we need to do such and such tests and such and such things. And, and we said, hold on, wait a second. This is not something that we were wanting to do or, or had agreed to. And they said, well, just to be safe, we want to make sure uh, that she doesn't have any of these issues. I said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. I said, okay, well, you're going to need to sign a paper saying that you declined the care. And I said, okay, so I signed the paper declining the care. And um, we, uh, we get in the car, we drive home. We had to drive out of state to, uh, to this birth center. We drive home, we get home. Now, remember, my wife had just given birth, baby, mm-hmm. absolute newborn. Uh, we get home and getting settled in, getting baby settled in, all this and there's a knock at our door and, uh, it's CPS and CPS comes to our door and says, you know, Hey, um, we have, we've got a call from this hospital that apparently the birth center was connected to. They had some ties to this, to this hospital. And, um, we need to do a wellness check for your child because if you don't, uh, they're saying that your child's going to have brain damage and could possibly die. And so obviously all of this was completely um, out of the reality of what was happening. And I said, no, you're not coming to my home. And uh, we, we called the police and said, hey, is there, are these actually CPS? And they were. And um, the police get there and it's kind of more like a local pop type, type vibe. And he... Uh, all in all, they keep going back to their car, coming back, the CPS people. And they come up to me, the cop does, he comes up to me and he says, he says excuse me, sir, just want to let you know, uh, I just kind of got a little close to the lady over there, the CPS lady, and I hear her on the phone, this was like, I don't know, it was like 1 a.m. or something, uh, trying to get a hold of a judge, they want to take your child away. And um, I said, well, they're not doing that. They're not going to take my child away. Uh, <laughs> and so... Long story short, it ended up being about a five-hour ordeal. And during this time and during this process, you got got to remember my wife had just given birth, I don't know, maybe 14 hours before or something like this, the day before, I can't remember exactly. It's, It's been a while. She hasn't got hardly any rest. She's exhausted. Obviously, I'm tired. But in that moment, I have to make a decision. I have to be the one to stand for my children. No matter what happens, I have to be there to stand for my wife and my child. So at the end of all of this, the, uh, we, ended up, we ended up getting a, a doctor to speak with CPS. And the doctor, also a local doctor, 
thank God for some things in small towns. They, mm-hmm. uh, they were able to talk to them and say, listen, there's no reason why this child would have brain damage. There's no reason why there's anything wrong. And they said, okay, well, we, we want to follow up. We want to follow up. Well, all in all, these, the CPS had told me, we're go- okay, we're going to close your file. Doctor says there's nothing wrong. Well, I got that on recording. And a few days later, they send us another letter saying, hey, we want to do wellness checks for the next six months. I said, no, I've got you on recording saying that you're closing this case out. You close this case out or I'm going to bring the hell down on you, basically. And, yeah. and they did. They sent me a letter and said, your case is closed. Now, what would have happened if that was just my wife? What would have happened if I wasn't there for her? It's very possible my daughter would have been taken away. And who knows what that process would have been of trying to get her back. And wrongfully so. And so, for me, the idea of having a natural birth at home by myself is way more safe and way more trustworthy than allowing my family to be put in a situation of who knows how this is going to escalate and get worse and worse and worse. Now, this was pre-COVID. This was before all this stuff happened. So I can't even imagine what it could be like now. And this is something that, especially for the men listening, it is very important that you are able to get to the very core of what God has said about you and what he has told you, what he has commanded you to do. And it's essential that you harden yourself against any other opinion, against any other concept of what the world or maybe family members or whoever else may say that that you should be. Now, obviously, listen to counsel. Listen, you know, I'm not saying shirk off wise counsel. But when it comes down to it, your aunt's not going to stand before God for how you took care of your family. The doctor's not going to stand before God for how they defended your, your children. Now, of course, they'll have to answer for, for everything that they do, but you are going to stand before God. You can't say, well, you know, my uncle thought this, or, well, you know, everybody at church told me that this was crazy and I should do this, or, well, the doctor said this. But what did God tell you to do? And that's your job to take care of your family. And so that may seem kind of heavy and that may seem a little bit extreme. But at the end of the day, you sought this woman out. You said, I want the responsibility of having a wife. I want to be a father. And it's easy to daydream. And it's easy to complain. You know, Men are always talking about how hard it is to find a good woman. Well, when you find her, and it's no longer just romantic feelings, the Lord commands you, as much as he commands her, to submit to you as as the church is supposed to submit to Christ, he commands you to love her to the point of death, as Christ did for us, even death on a cross, that he did not just simply die for us, he suffered for us, and he loved us that much while we were yet enemies. Well, your wife is not your enemy. Your wife is your covenantal partner in life, and God has called you 
to love her in a sacrificial way, even if that means that you have to be the one between her and danger. You have to be the one between your children in danger. You have to be the one that stands in the gap. Amen. Amen. Praise God for all of that. I was listening to, I was talking to someone yesterday. We were talking about uh, Doug Wilson did a movie with Christopher Hitchens called Collision. It was like a movie about their relationship and the and series of debates they did. And um, Christopher Hitchens and, and Doug Wilson got along very well, uh, even though Christopher Hitchens is a hardened, died in the wool, not just an atheist, like an anti theist, believes religion is net bad for the world. And of course, Doug Wilson is the opposite of that in his own, in his own way. Sure. And um, in this yeah, conversation, yeah. the person I was talking to, I wish I could remember who, was saying um, that in the film, Christopher Hitchens and Doug Wilson got along because Hitchens looked at Doug and said, you know, you live like everything you believe is true, right? You're not a hypocrite. And, and right. I, I bring that up because to, if, you, if we as men were to really believe that everything in the Bible is true, this is how we would live. Right. If we really believed it, meaning that, you know, you know you're, you're, you're across state lines, CPFs come to knocks at your door at one o'clock in the morning over some nonsense. I don't even, I can't even imagine what. We're going to take your kid away. Police sure, come, sure. calling a judge. Like, and at this point, I can't even imagine what's going on in the CPS woman's head other than I'm going to show these people. Right? It can't actually be a legitimate yeah. concern for your baby's well-being. It's like, right. okay, these people think they're above the yeah. system and I'm going to you know, use my manipulative powers. right? And it's like, you have to stand there. Meaning you, Lawson, have to stand there and say no. And you have to be the man between... Right. You know, you have to be the wall between your family and the state. And that's what that means when you live like what you believe is true. And I just, I want, you know, absolutely. And I just yeah. want to honor that. I just want yeah. to honor that because, yeah, because I, pray, yeah. I pray that no man ever has to experience that. But the reality is probably will. And, you know, you, you yeah. sharing that story now gives men a model and a way to think like, well, how would I? How would I be in that moment? You know, would I would I have the guts to say no in the first place? Which is which is really important. But you right. you you held the no, and you had the presence of mind to record the interaction, which is really important. And you know, yes, for all the men listening important. right now, I think it's going to become increasingly important that we get comfortable recording certain interactions we have. And you can go to Amazon, you can buy a pocket recording pen. You just click it, and it starts recording audio. You know, start thinking about getting one of those for situations where you might be confronted because that's a your accountability over he said, she said. And I, and I just want to honor you for the presence right. of mind that you showed through all this. No, 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 no. And when you had them where you wanted them, you had you recorded that. Like that's, le- I mean, that's leadership. <laughs> yeah. That's leadership. And you called that forth you. for, your, for your family. Like praise God for that. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, it was... Um, what was interesting to me is that it's thinking back on it is that it's something that obviously you're not expecting. You're not expecting it. And in my mind, the hard thing is behind yeah. us. <laughs> you know, the hard thing is like, okay, driving a couple of hours, getting across state lines, getting her there, having the baby, getting home, getting her set up. Um, and so you know, we hear a lot about men always needing to be on. And that can be exhausting to think about. And I don't think that 
that necessarily means that we have to always be in a place where necessarily we're stressed out or we're overexerting. But you have to be ready at all times. It doesn't mean that you have to be burning energy, but the switch has to be mm-hmm. has to be quick. You have to be ready at a moment's notice to stand up for your family. And I really think that's a skill that we all need to develop, especially, you know, in the time that we're in, in the time that we're moving into. And I think that that has overlap that will help men be more successful in things, even like as business. It'll help you in your business. It'll help you with your church. It'll help you with evangelism. It'll help you in any area of life, being ready at a moment's notice to go. And that's actually something that I had heard. Uh, have a background um, in pastoring, being a pastor. I can hear. And it. you know, there's a, <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's a, there's a saying that um, that I heard a lot in ministry school that the sharpest knife in the drawer is the one that the chef chooses. And you may not feel like God's ever going to send you your wife. You may not feel like you're ever going to be in that place where you have children. You may not feel like you're ever going to get this to this place in business or in your life or in your career or whatever it is. But if you're ready to go, when that time comes, then it's going to happen because if God is the chef or however you want to put it, when he sees you're ready and that readiness lines up with his window when, of, of sovereignty of, of when he wants to send it to you, there's like, there's this beautiful crescendo of life that happens in that moment. And so now looking back, that moment that we went through was very traumatic, but looking back, I see not trauma, but I see the work of God in our life. I see his hand in our life. And every time that you're ready for something at this level and you stand and you show up, it gives you confidence when the next level comes. It gives you a strength of heart and a confidence in your own authority as the leader of your home, the leader of your family for the next thing that comes. And that's encouraging that we're never going to get to a point where we're not going to be called upon. You're never going to get to a point where you are not needed, where, where you are not needed as a leader for your family. But you can always build from your previous experience of, hey, maybe it was just simply, we're just getting started out in life and I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, but I put my heart into my work and I worked hard and God pulled through. And that will mark you. That will mark you for the next thing in your life where you know what? God pulled through for me there. I showed up and I did my job and it worked. And that will build a fire in you for the next thing and the next thing. And I just want to encourage any man listening that it may feel like, well, when will it ever happen? What you've got to understand is right now that that knife is being sharpened. Right now, that flame is being heated. It's getting stronger. It's getting more fervent. And there will come a day where you look back and it will be like the patriarchs in the Old Testament where God did this for me and they built an altar. And there'll be points of remembrance where whenever you are facing something that is hard and that is difficult, you can be tell your children, there was a time when this happened and we got through that. 
You can look at your wife in the eyes and say, do you remember how God pulled through when this, this, and this happened? And it's not just flowery language. There's a confidence assurance there because there's a track record between you and your wife, between you and God, between you and your children that you know in that hierarchy of God, you, your wife, your children, things have always pulled through. Things have always pulled through because you showed up. And when you show up in the small things, God shows up in the big things. That's so true. That's so true. I mean, that's, that's a real message of hope for men that I believe, and I've experienced this in my life, that nothing that I've ever worked on <clears throat> has gone to waste. You know, all the periods of Absolutely. my life, like yeah. for example, like this podcast, right? In, in the years, I think it was 2007, 2008, 2009, I went to a pro audio school and I worked in an, in, a, in an audio engineering studio in San Francisco. I thought when I left that phase of my life in 2015, 2016, I thought that would be like, why did I do that? What a waste of time and money to go to that pro audio school. I thought I would never use that stuff right. again. And then when I started this podcast, when I sat down to start putting it together, I'm like, wait a minute. I know about microphones. I know about digital audio interfaces. Yeah. I know about plugins and compression. I know how to take a voice and make it sound good so that my first podcast competed with professional sounding podcasts right out of the gate. Didn't sound like it was recorded on my, on yeah. my phone, right? And no disrespect to guys who started awesome. exactly, but, but it was just, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't know that. I was like, well, I have this pro audio experience. Let me start a podcast. It was like, no, it was, it was God showing me to do the podcast. Like, and now you get to put all this into service. And, 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 and it's hard, it can be hard for men to see that because in, in many cases, they don't stick with anything long enough to really have the opportunity to have it be tested, which is never on our schedule. Like, when's it going to happen for me, God? And the answer to that is, when in God's sovereignty, he says it's going to happen for you. And, uh, but right, I don't believe right. that if we, put a, if, if we feel a call in our heart uh, from our courageous center to pursue a path, that any amount of energy that we pour into that will always, will always pay off and come due in its own time if we have the faith to hold on and not quit. Um, and I think men are, I think they're, th they're thirsty for that. They're hungry for that. To, to know who am right. I when I'm being put to the test? Well, what do you have in you that is worthy of being tested <laughs> is, is the first question, right? Sure. And yeah. I think a lot of men are looking for that. No, I think that's awesome. And that makes me think of the verse that says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. And so what he has started in you, think, okay, if whether you think the Lord is coming back next year or in another thousand years or whenever that day may be. He's faithful. What he started, he's the author and he's the finisher of your faith. What he started, he is faithful to complete it. And I think that in this time, we're so disconnected. We're so disconnected from our previous generations. We're disconnected from our ancestors, from our grandfathers, from our fathers even, from brotherhood. When before you could see the progression of pilgrims landing, up to space flight. Mm. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. And when you have that and you're not disconnected from who you are, you're not disconnected from the story of your family. You're not disconnected from, you know, my grandpa, my grandpa, he started this and he slowly worked his way up and now he has this and our family is here. Or let's say, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're, uh, like my, my grandfather, our, 
many of our ancestors came from France and they, they settled in what is now Canada before it was even Canada and then moved down into America and helped found parts of America. I can look at that and I can say, wow, they started in a wilderness with nothing. And then I can see where my grandfather through that line, where he ended his life, where he's at now and his success. And I can look at that and I can see that as a picture of progress and of growth through generations. And before you would have that, where you would look at your grandfather and you would say, well, I started off as this and I was, I was selling, you know, paint out of the back of my car. I was, you know, selling stamps at the local bookstore, something, you know, some rinky dink little job. And then he's got his nice home and he's got his nice car and he's got his full family and his 30 grandchildren. That's how it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be. But we're so disconnected from family and we're so disconnected from who we are and our history and the history of the church and our, in our nation and how that has grown and blossomed that sometimes we can get the idea that, well, I, I started something, it, it should flourish. And if it didn't flourish shortly after I started it, then I must be a mm-hmm. failure. And that can build now a process, this track record in your mind of I'm a failure. Everything I try doesn't work. Everything I try is, is difficult. I always run into roadblocks. I'm never going to escape. But when you can look at, hey, my dad started at this level and then he ended up here. My grandfather started at this level and then he ended up here. My ancestors started at this level and then they ended up here. It can encourage you that my story is not unique, that I'm not the only one to ever have struggled. I'm not the only one to have ever run up against a wall and faced impossibility and faced a moment where I felt like I was going to break and nothing could happen and nothing was going to pull through me. No, there's a history of people. Even if you look at the Bible, David didn't become king the moment he was anointed. He had to go through a lot of difficulty to get there. But the difficulty he went through built the confidence and the history within himself, within his brotherhood, between him and his God, and the people that he would lead, that this will become what God said it would be. And I think that is something that men are missing is they've never seen people or even heard many of them stories of starting at nothing and suffering through and becoming. They're so disconnected. It's just they're thrown into the world, figure it out. And if it doesn't work right away, they think, man, I'm just a failure. Oh, I approached this girl. I got turned down. Oh, I tried this business adventure. It didn't work. Might as well just quit. But that itself is the thing you're searching for, that experience of the hardship, that experience of failing and struggling and pulling yourself back up is what makes you a capable father, is what makes you capable with finances in your career. It's what makes you a capable man. If you never go through the hard things, then you'll never be strong enough for someone else to lean on. You'll never be able to teach your son when he's going through the hard things. If it just fell in your lap, you just say, oh, well, it either falls in your lap or it doesn't. I hope you make it, son. But when you can say, I've been there and I've suffered and I've bled and I've sweat and I've been afraid and I've been in a cold, dark, lonely night, but I was able to pull through and I had grit and I called out to God and he helped me and I sought advice and I sought counsel and this worked out for me. And now here is where I'm at. That's so much more beautiful than, well, rolled the dice and it worked out. That almost never happens. So be encouraged. If you're in that place where it's like, man, life just really sucks right now and everything that I try seems to not be working, 
maybe put a different perspective on it. Maybe you are exactly where you need to be to develop the character of manhood you need to become an incredible man that others will be needing, that others will be relying on, that you can be the one that changes the course of history and that people look back on it. And they're telling their son, hey, did you hear about this guy? This is what he went through and this is what he became because he didn't quit. That could be you, but you have to make that decision in the moment that you're in, which way am I going to go? Am I going to be forgotten in the abyss of endless people that quit and failed? Or am I going to anchor my feet? And when I've done everything I can, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand right where God told me to be. And I'm going to hold on and I'm going to fight. I'm going to scrap. I'm not going to quit. Yes, this sucks. Yes, this hurts, but I'm going to press on. And when you do that, you're going to hit a moment. It may seem like it's never coming, but you will hit a moment in your life where you look back and you say, thank God. Thank God for all of that. Wouldn't want to go through it again, but thank God. Because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to handle this. And the this, whatever that is, that's, what, that's what's in your heart. That's that dream. That's that desire that you're seeking after. The crap you're going through is actually the thing that will secure that. It will secure for you that if you just don't let go, if you just don't quit. You have to hang in there and you have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to trust in yourself and trust in God when all hell's breaking loose and to just not quit. Because, I mean, it, it may sound so cliche, but it, it's, it's, it's the seed being planted. It's those roots that aren't seen in that dark place. Growing deep roots is much better than growing up high without the roots because those storms are going to come. Those storms are going to come. But when the roots come, when the roots are there and the storm comes, you're able to look back and laugh and say, man, you know, what a beautiful day it is while well, you've got your nice home over you and you're sitting there drinking coffee, watching the rain while the other guy's house is swept down the river. Yeah. I mean, uh, amazing. I, I, I hope everyone's super fired up listening to all this because I know I am. This is, I mean, you know, this, I think this speaks to every man's struggle. It speaks to my own struggle. It's, I mean, I think it's part of being a man. I think part of it is also because of our, we have such a limited time horizon now with our short attention span theater where it's like, you know, a TikTok, you know, TikTok or Instagram reel or Twitter or whatever, where it's like, the notion of really investing in something and making it grow, like why is it not happening today? And right, and right. Uh, really, I, I think we've lost sight uh, as men and as as women just how difficult it is to to change material reality, like to actually build something. Yeah. You know, like our minds can change quickly in the encountering an idea, but to physically change our lives, like just try and get in amazing shape. See how long that takes. You could pour yeah. your energy into the gym one whole day. You can leave yourself in a puddle of sweat three hours at the gym and yeah. you get up and you look in the mirror the next day and nothing has changed. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's something yeah. that we all kind of suffer with now because we're separated from the natural rhythms of life that our great grandfathers probably were more familiar with. Like it takes time to build something. You have to start as nothing and you have to do right. this daily devotion you know, this faithfulness in the small things to build a big thing. Like you don't, you know, you, you build, you look at all these, these incredible castles in Europe and it's like people lived in these castles, you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and on tops of mountains yeah. and stuff like that. It's like, you couldn't live in that castle until it was mostly completed. And it wasn't anything <laughs> until it was, you know, how do they even do that? Cause right. they, they were faithful in building and yeah. we just don't have that. We're separated from that way of living now. And I think we need, we're looking, but I think we need it as men. That's a great point. It's, it's like, like you were saying, it's almost like that culture of 
going viral. If I go viral, I'm successful. But if I'm if I'm solely building content, I'm not. And mm. it's almost that same idea of that roll of dice because we have these people presented in front of us that are absolute idiots doing the stupidest things going viral. Yeah. Island boys. And it's almost like, yeah. And almost like this idea of like, hey, that's how it's supposed to go in life. Yeah. You know, you try something and and if it if it if it goes viral, if it works, it, it, great. If it's monetized, it's fantastic. If not, well, I guess you're just a loser. And so I think a lot of guys internalize that so quickly because they've never had a man to identify to them. Yes, this is where you are right now, but to identify them who they're supposed to be, to identify their potential. Because when I look at my son, he's a little boy. Okay, He's not a teenager. He's a little boy. He's, he's, He's tall. He's skinny. But whenever I speak to him, what do I tell him? Son, you are a leader. You are a king. You are strong. You are brave. You are courageous. Let me tell you about our family. Let me tell you about our history. Let let me tell you about our exploits. That is in you. Let me tell you what, what God did for your daddy. God will do that for you. And when I look at his eyes, when I tell him this, and what happens inside of his soul, that is what I didn't have growing up. Mm -hmm. And so that's not an excuse to say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't. You can start building that story now. You, David's daddy was not a king, but David became king. And so you can make all the excuses all you want all day. I'll never amount to anything. My family hasn't done this or that. I didn't have my daddy growing up. I didn't. But are you going to be that daddy? Are you going to be that king? Are you going to be that entrepreneur? Are you going to be the one that not only says, you know, no, no more for the bad, but this is where the good starts. This is where the victory starts. This is where my family begins to live for something more than just a cycle of trauma and not just, I don't just want the trauma gone because it brings me back to the Lord talking to his disciples. He says, hey, whenever a demon is cast out, it goes out into dry places. It comes back, it founds, finds the person like a house. It's swept clean, put in order. It says, hey, I like my old house. Goes to get seven other demons worse than himself. Goes back in. Why? Wasn't the house clean? Wasn't it put back in order? Yes, but there was nothing occupying it. There was no new resident. And so, yeah, you can say, hey, I'm not going to I'm not gonna uh, have a hospital birth, or I'm not going to circumcise my son, or I'm not going to have all these uh, shots given to my children, or I'm, I'm not going to be... But what are you going to be? Like, is it good enough to just say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be addicted to pornography, or I'm not going to have a an, a drinking problem? Is that enough? Yeah, just go from where you were at, and I'll splice them back together. Yeah. So basically, you have to decide for yourself that not only are you going to say, hey, this is where I draw the line, and that we are not going to allow this sin, this trauma, this evil, this difficulty to continue in our family, but we're going to start something new. We're going to start a new tradition, a new cycle, a new way of being for our family that is, because it's easy to say, hey, you know, let's say great grandpa was a, was an alcoholic. Daddy was an alcoholic. I'm not going to be an alcoholic. That's awesome. And that's a great place to start. But what are you going to be? Is your identity going to simply be, I'm not an alcoholic? Or is your identity going to be, this is what I live for. This is what I consume. Because your legacy 
looking back, I'm who who is who who's going to say that about you? Oh well, great grandfather was a not an alcoholic. That's what he was. He was a not an alcoholic. No, what what legacy did you leave for them? And so I really think that's the turning point is whenever you get to the point of, yes, being delivered, being set free, breaking the cycle, putting your, your foot down and drawing the line in the sand. Okay, but what, like you said, what are you building once that line is drawn and you said, this is our territory and they, these things come no further, they're not going to cross this line. What are you building there? And are you willing to take the time to invest in your legacy, your story, your family's history of, hey, you know what? Maybe I didn't have someone to lead me and show me how to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have someone to lead me and show me how to be a father. But you can be the one that shows your children and your grandchildren how to be those things. And sometimes it takes going through the hard, dark things to let that be developed in you. So you can be the one that starts that chain of events and starts that history. So somebody can look back and say, man, great grandfather will he was the one that started this in our family, and that is who we are now. You know, you look at old emblems of people's families and their names. You look, you look at the symbols on the shields and on the flags. They meant something. Now, maybe some of that's lost to history, but at one point, somebody took a stand and said, this is what we're going to be. This is what our family is going to do. All the way to your last name, whatever your last name may be, it, it generally represents at some point Something that was accomplished or something that was done or, or maybe a trade that, that you were, it, it represents something for your family and it labeled your family. And you can be the one that begins to label your future and your descendants from this point on that it doesn't have to be just about breaking cycles and it doesn't have to be just about escaping trauma. It can be about setting new cycles for your future generations. Amen. Amen. And, and there, there's... There's a conversation that's building right now, I think, amongst men as they begin to understand the weight of generational curses, childhood trauma. And, and I think to some extent, the conversation, particularly around trauma, can be overdone, but that is a real phenomenon. And I, and I, and yeah. I really hope in, 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 in people throwing out the word or the word being overused you know, sort of publicly that we not lose um, the baby in the bathwater, so to speak, I guess. But, um, but once you actually get past that and you work through, the most significant things, then you're free to do more than just exist. You can actually start building. Once you have a, a solid emotional, uh, um, uh, uh, stable emotional foundation within yourself as a man and as a woman, for that matter, that's what you start building on. And then you can actually say like, okay, what is my future going to look like? What am I going to pass down that's going to live beyond me? Like, yes, okay. O overcoming any addiction is an enormous accomplishment. I don't want to minimize that. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. But, but to begin asking the questions like, wow, if I've proven to myself that I can do that, what else can I do? Because to conquer ourselves is it's the, in many cases, probably always the most significant em enemy we'll ever face. And if we've mastered it once, you know, the enemy within, what, how, many, how many more times could we do that for the blessings of, of countless generations to follow us? Absolutely. And I think that that's almost something that can be an inspiring point for, for men is that, I mean, it could even be overwhelming, yeah. but if you look at it the right way, you have the ability 
to influence generations. You have the ability like in you. You have that power to make a decision. Like you said, it, it may take time. It may, it may have something that's not instant. But you can start the chain reaction from generation to generation with one decision. And absolutely, and that's and that's not what my intention is, is to in any way minimize, you know, conquering something. Yeah, yeah. But when you have in your mind, not just I'm not going to be this or that, but you have in your mind, I want to achieve this for my children. I want to achieve this standard of whatever for my grandchildren. When that's your goal, then it's easy to have firepower to turn on the thing that you're struggling with, that you're seeking to overcome. Because the end result of quitting porn and breaking the addiction is not just that, well, I'm not looking at chicks on the internet. The end result is that you are now properly equipped to love your wife and to lead your children. And so when you see it like that, when you see a, a perspective of this is not simply about myself, and this is not simply about whether or not I'm a good person this week or a bad person this week, or if I failed or didn't fail or relapsed or whatever, when you see it as I am able to set a chain of events for future generations, not through what did I do this evening or what did I do yesterday, but what am I aimed at with my life? When you see that you actually have the ability, even just the fact that you are taking a stand and trying is enormous. It, it's enormous what can happen, the end result in your children and your grandchildren. And when you see it like that and you see that it's not just simply about me and my little bubble, but I can create something bigger than me. I can create something longer lasting than me. I can have an effect on something that I will never see. I will never experience. But because I took a stand today, my great, 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 great grandchildren will have such and such. Because I said no and because I said yes. Because I said no to the things that needed to be said no to. And I said yes to the things that would change my life and my family's life. My clients know that I've been talking about a book called Transforming the Inner Man by uh, John Loren and Paula Sanford, which is, uh, which is written by the parents of one of the women who, who baptized me from the Camp Spirit Dream at Burning Man, where I was introduced to Christ. And in that book, which I highly recommend, it's linked in the show notes, it talks about, and I, I think Brandon from Masculine Revival recommended it recently on, on, on his stories. They talk about sowing and reaping, about how uh, when we we sow a judgment and we reap the results of that judgment. And that's how you get things like, you know, childhood trauma leading to bad decisions later in our life, et cetera. And also yeah. the authors of the book talk about um, generational curses. And they have a section in the book where they say it, it might seem unfair that we are the inheritors of generational curses because we didn't do anything wrong. But at the same time, they point out, we're also the inheritors of countless generational blessings the nature of which, you know, that we don't even, we don't even know about. For example, like I did, you and I did not do anything to earn our fabulous beer genetics. These were, <laughs> these are generational yeah. blessings that, that we acquired amongst many others. But, but to recognize that we as men have the capability to be the source of generational blessings for our kids and great, great grandkids that we may never meet, that may actually never right. know our names. They may never even know that we exist, but we can certainly be that. Definitely. 
And it makes it makes me think too. Um, you may have things you're facing that's not your fault. That, like you said, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but you also didn't do anything to deserve the amazing opportunity to be the one that makes the change. And what an honor that God found you worthy to face this for your entire bloodline. And he believes in you enough that he wants to use you. And people say, oh, well, God, God believes in me. Or people get too wonky with, with, with theology. God looked at David, just a little shepherd boy, and said, in him is the potential. And he declared him as king. And he had Samuel pour oil on his head before he ever led an army, before he ever took down Goliath. Before any of that was a dream in, in David's mind, God said, this is who you are and this is who you will be. And maybe that's the same reason why whoever is listening, why you're facing the stuff you're facing is because maybe it's not that God wanted to make you suffer and have a terrible life. Maybe he said, there is someone here that I can use to completely shift the story, completely change the narrative forever. And you think about David, he had some shortcomings. He had some problems. Yeah. But it was from his line that Christ came. Yeah. Imagine what could come from your family with all your mistakes and all your hiccups and all your mess ups simply because you changed your perspective and you said, what an honor to be the one. Is there no one here who will face this giant? Mm -hmm. I may not be trained and I may not know what I'm doing, okay? But I know how to use a sling. And maybe that's all you have. You got something that seems so insignificant. I don't know how to do this. I don't know. This is what I know. Take that. Trust God with that. If you've got one thing, one thing, trust God with that one thing that you're good at or that one thing that you know, and watch him move with that one thing. Well, I can't use that to make money. You can't use, you can't use a, a sling and a rock to kill a giant. But he did. He did. And so I just want to encourage, there, nothing in my life at this moment looks like what I expected it to be five <laughs> years ago, 10 years ago. And the things that died along the way, the things that, I expected it to be a certain way. The death of those things and the struggle through it are the very things that birth the moment that I am in right now. And I would not have the family that I have. I would not have the children that I have. I would not have the life that I have or the ability to speak to anyone the way that I'm, I'm speaking right now had I have not gone through those things. And so I say, what an honor. What an, what, what an honor that I was able to be used by God. You know, the apostles rejoiced. They were counted worthy to suffer. And that suffering spurred unbelievable change in the world and, and thrust Christianity all throughout Europe and to the ends of the earth. What we face, we may think it's no big deal or poor me. Why do I have to face this? But it could actually be that God found you worthy to be the one to take a stand and make the difference. And so I hope that encourages someone that maybe God hasn't forgotten you. Maybe you are 
right in the center of his sight. Maybe you are exactly where he wants you to be in the moment he wants you to be in. And then if you'll just trust him, he's able to use you and this sucky, horrible moment to turn everything around for you and your family for generations. That's a message I think many men need to hear. Preach from a, preach from a, a position of faith, right? Because it's a very different feeling than what you might get from a motivational speaker. You know, it's, it's a very different feeling to say, believe in yourself. Yes, there's, there's truth to that. Or, sure. you know, tap into your inner power. Yes, that's all, all that stuff is very good insofar as it goes. But to tell men that like, maybe God believes in you. Maybe God right. has given you a gift that he wants to see you sow and, and reap, right? Like the parable, the talents and all of that. Like, Definitely. I, I, and, and I understand how, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just showing up and trying to put together all the history of the evangelical church in America. And I can understand that it went through a phase of, it went through a phase of um, motivational speaking and, you know, and, and upliftment and stuff like that. And so now there's a shift back to sin and repentance, and which I think is completely appropriate to differentiate itself from, you know, apostate churches, let's say. Absolutely. But let's not, let's not lose sight of, of the message that God has for individual men and the calling that, you know, for all we know is on every man's heart, right? I, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. Definitely. I agree. And that, it's interesting that you bring that up because when I did become a Christian, whenever I, I did get saved, I was 13 years old. Mm. And it was, in, uh, it was actually in my junior high school. And some, uh, some high school students got permission to skip their lunch during our break time and come have a prayer meeting every day. And they would do that. And they would preach the gospel. And I heard the preaching the gospel and I got saved. And so um, I actually started attending a charismatic church. Mm -hmm. And in this charismatic church, they're not like most charismatic churches that I've encountered recently. They did not view a separation between the call to preach the gospel and call those to repentance and the, the blood, the cross, salvation, all of that. They didn't see a separation between that and things like the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and miracles and healings. They didn't see a separation. And then more recently, you've kind of seen a separation, and no longer do many of these churches even talk about those things. It's no longer, here are the gifts of the Spirit that are given by access because you, you put your faith in Christ, you believe in Christ. It's more of just this random experiential happening that you just happen to experience something and you just trust that experience rather than it being rooted in the scripture and rooted in the gospel. And so there has been this, this separation where generally growing up, what I would experience in the church is what people would say is the church would either have the word or they would have the fire. And I grew up in churches that had both. And now mm. it's really more of, is there a legitimate faith at all? Or is it just something, and I mean, you may have some, some insight into this, uh, especially with uh, the, uh, the seminar that you did recently on the New Age, but is it something that's leading more just into a New Age type experience and no longer rooted in the gospel or rooted in the scriptures at all? And so I really think that that is important that we do have both because you have you have the scripture root 
rooting people deeply into the ground like David, like Abraham, like Moses. But then you have God showing up with, with a fresh, genuine, intimate encounter to those people at the same time. These are people that actually wrote scripture. You have Moses writing scripture. You have David writing scripture. These people encountered God in the most unbelievable, genuine, intimate ways possible. And yet they were the ones who were also crying out like David, Lord, do not let me turn from your law and broken when they did. You have people like the the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they're declaring the Lord is a man of war. And they just saw him obliterate Egypt through, through miracles and signs and wonders. And then you have Moses giving hours and hours and hours of here's what God commands. And so I think that having both of, yes, here is what, here is the structure and here is the solidity of the scripture. And yet that God is still a living, all-consuming fire. He still cares about you deeply. That God is the one who said, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross that if you would believe in him, you would live and not die. That God cares about you as an individual. He cares about the world and he cares about truth and he cares about doctrine and he cares about reality and he cares about society, but he also cares about you. And this is really something we see on all spectrums, including in the political, this pull between, well, do we care more about the society or do we care about the individual? And when you look at it rightly, the individuals are like the cells of that society. You can't choose one or the other. Both have to feed each other. You need a healthy society to tend to the individual. You need a healthy individual to tend to the society. And so in the same way, in this regard, I would say, yes, you absolutely do need someone encouraging you as an individual saying that you matter. God sees you and God hears you right where you are. And from that, you're able to birth the larger structural change that we all hope to see in our country and in our churches, hopefully in our lifetimes. But I think that it's both. Hey, everyone. We're getting down to the wire with ticket sales for the Renaissance of Men digital conference series. And I hope this podcast with Lawson has convinced you that it's going to be an amazing day. All the guys I've spoken with are very excited about their talks. Nate Spearing is going to be talking about his time in Ranger Battalion, which is an elite special forces group inside the U.S. Army. John David is the world's only quit porn strategist, and he's going to be going hard against the porn industry, which he's so great at. I got a nice message from Mike Pantile the other day asking if it was okay for his talk to be super Christian based, and I said only if it's super Christian and based. And Will Noland is going to be discussing a lesser known work by Sir Thomas More, That's all about strength during hardship, which is the very essence of resilience. I'm incredibly excited about this series because this is not just a one-off event. This is the beginning of something. The next event is scheduled for May, and there's one in July just after that. Again, this is the Renaissance of Men Digital Conference series. This is my attempt to shift the conversation about masculinity and femininity in the direction of virtue. Because I think virtue is something we can all strive for. But simply saying let's strive for masculinity or let's strive for femininity isn't enough. But if you can identify specific virtues unique to men, unique to women, or that we share, people can begin cultivating those. Any man can spend a lifetime learning about one specific virtue. If I put together a conference series where different men discuss different virtues, 
maybe we can build a library of virtues for those of us who seek to cultivate ourselves as human beings. I'm very excited for the speakers that are going to be appearing, and I hope you'll be joining us on Saturday, March 25th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't have to listen all day. Just drop in for the speakers you're interested in. If you'd like to buy tickets, you can hit the link in the description or go to renofmen.com conference and enter the code podcast for $5 off. Once again, go to renofmen.com conference and enter the code podcast for $5 off. If you know me, you know how much time, thought, and energy goes into everything that I do, and I'm not putting anything less than that into this event. So I hope you'll join us on Saturday, March 25th. I hope to see you there. Yeah, it's so powerful to say that God cares about you as an individual. Like he made you. Your personality, your persona, your quirks, your habits, every aspect of your body that you're familiar with, like all the weird things that it does, like all made, all made. And and there will never be another another person, another man or woman for that matter, like you hand handcrafted all of your potential. Right. And it's, and, and it matters. It's like me. Yes. You. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's such, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's humbling and frightening and inspiring all at the same, all at the same time. And it doesn't get, it doesn't really get said enough. And I, and I understand why. Like, sure. so, so the, the friends of mine who baptized me, you know, who I mentioned earlier from spirit dream, yeah. they're charismatic, yeah. right? They're, they're, they're charismatic, but they've always been so rooted. They have to be, you have to be charismatic to be able to go to burning man for 12 years. Yeah. And, right. Like, you know, yeah. like a, Jeff Durbin and Doug Wilson are not going out to burning man. Like, yeah. It's not their, it's not their scene. The Mormon temples, sure. Abortion mills. Yes. But like burning man's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. Right. But what I what I what I have always um, really respected and admired about uh, about my friends is that they've very much focused it on on uh, on character and on the gospel and on, and on the word that they don't right. take what they don't take their beliefs and separate them from the word at all and and, right. and the word that they've always um, the vocabulary word that they've always talked to me about when I've engaged with them in conversations is character you know John Paul Jackson streams ministries focused on the character of the individual because if you because as you observed if you lose your your connection to your character and you lose the connection to the gospel then you drift into experientialism and then it's about just having this massive experience and and missing the whole point of the thing getting out of yourself right right and look we all need to get out of our own heads but there's a point at which it becomes really ungrounded and you lose touch you lose touch of the ground you kind of float away and that's not what it's about. That's not what these gifts are for. They're here to be put into service on the ground for people. And guess what? They're not yours to begin with. Right. They're God's gifts that he gives to you to put in service of his kingdom. And if you misuse them, guess what? You probably won't get to keep them anymore, right? And so this conversation, I know denominationalism gets so messy, yeah. but it is something that I see that's going on where it's like, you know, I think there's probably more to us than we want to recognize, but we have to be very careful with that topic, right? Because it it gets into charlatanism and ex- exploitation and all these things. Definitely. But the right people, I think, can't handle it. No, absolutely, I agree with you, and I think that that's something that we are all longing for. Like, if you really look at, and that you know, this is a whole another, I guess, off here. But when you look at the two go for it churches or or splinters of churches that are expected to grow the most over the next 20, 30, 50 years, it's 
Charismatics and Catholics. And I find that to be fascinating because those are the two things people are looking for. People are looking for structure, for order, for tradition, for something that matters, something bigger than themselves, something that is long lasting, something they can look to generations past and generations future they're handing it down to. And they're looking for a real, spiritual, genuine, powerful, effectual experience that says, not only am I in this structure, but it's real and I feel it and it matters. And I, and I know that I've encountered the real God and they're looking for both. And as an individual, I'm not speaking necessarily um, denomination or, or what have you, but those two things I think is something that we should all seek after as Christians. So we should all have a deep rootedness and a, a structure and a, a reverence and a long lastingness to our faith and also a genuine, fiery, real, raw, powerful, experiential, spiritual life. And that I think the two, when you read in the scriptures, that is what the people of God had. That is what the patriarchs had, the prophets, the apostles. That is what they had. They had no lack of scripture to pull from, and they had no lack of power to walk in. And I think having the two should be our goal, not just for the sake of having, but for the sake of knowing that we are rooted and grounded in the way God desires us to be. And so that, that's, that's my perspective. I think that there's, there's genuine reasons why there's division. I, I think that there's, there's uh, fair reasons why people have, uh, are disgruntled with one another. But I also think that at some point, at least on an individual level, we have to move past the offense and look into why do my brothers and sisters in Christ have such a strong hold, such a strong grip on this? Is there something there that I'm missing out on? Is there something there? And I'm not suggesting that you go and just take on any kind of doctrine that you are that you, at this, especially at this moment, that you're right. for sure is not true. That's not what I'm saying. And I know I'm just kind of speaking in general terms, but I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to a different denomination. And like I've been to a Presbyterian churches and I've been to Episcopalian churches. I've been to non-denominational churches and Lutheran churches and Baptists and Methodists and all these different churches. And if I spent enough time there, how much I learned and discovered from them. Not that I gave up what I knew to be true from my previous experiences, let's say in the, in the charismatic church, but I encountered things there that I would not encounter in that charismatic church for my benefit. And it's interesting, we often look at the one church we're in and we think, oh, well, you know, can the eye said, yeah, can the eye said, here, I don't need you, or, you know, I, we, we, don't, we don't need the other part of the body. It's easy to say that, but maybe. If we look bigger at the larger body of Christ, can the Lutheran really say to the Baptist, I don't need you? They can say it, but is it true? Can, can, can the Presbyterian really say to the Pentecostal, I don't need you? Does the Presbyterian church not need the fire of God? Does the Pentecostal church not need reverence? And it's easy when you're on one side to point to the other, but I would encourage anyone to really say, okay, 
am I operating out of prep? preference or am I operating out of providence? And it's really easy to say I'm operating out of providence when it's really just preference. And, you know, I, I may come from a place where I prefer, you know, more expression and worship, but I cannot tell you how amazing those times have been when I've been in a church that where they, where the, 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 the preacher will say one line and then the, the church responds with the next. And then the preacher says a line, and then, then there's a moment where it's just silence. And then maybe, maybe they rise and they all sing a cappella. Let's say the churches of Christ. It's beautiful. It's life changing, and it allows you to connect with God in a way you never had before. And so, I would really encourage people to say, "Hey, maybe, maybe there's an aspect that I'm missing out on that I shouldn't be so hard headed about." And again, not not talking about doctrine. You know, when you, when you're talking about, "Hey, I know right. the Lord." virgin birth, crucified, buried, rose again on the 30th. I mean, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. But when it really gets down to preference, there's a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, I'm really glad that you highlighted um, you know, doctrine versus fire, I think was the two terms, and, because I think, that's, I think that's what people are looking for. And I think different people go looking for it in different ways because there are many different kinds of people. And one of the things that's been driving me nuts on Instagram lately is the sectarianism. It's just driving me absolutely crazy. Like I don't I don't go swinging the sword against different denominations but right. I see memes all day long. Yeah. It's like I go to I go to an independent fundamentalist Baptist Calvinist church called Apologia with Jeff Durbin. Right? Yeah. Like it's not it, you know, it's not fiery charismatic worship, but I'll tell you what, there's evangelical activities 6 days a week. The only reason there isn't anything on Sunday is because we're in church. Right. But even during during the, when the Super Bowl was here early in February, we, we were out you know doing evangelical stuff even on Sunday. We missed awesome. church to do because yes. this is a Super Bowl. So it's like and so and so that's where I find my fire, and I find my fire and and you know what what Doug Wilson and a lot of guys now talk about post millennialism. No, this is the millennium. We need to win the world for Christ. Go out and get it done. Your work has significance. That's where I find my fire and I find my doctrine, and that's my answer. And it's Protestant. Yeah. And I love yep. it, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But all day long, I feel like on on Instagram, particularly, I see all the stuff mocking and making fun of Protestants, and I'm not going to say by who, but there's plenty of that. And it's like, just stop, right. just stop it. You're not going to work this out right now. If you think that amidst all of the, the 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 struggle that we have on Earth right now against secularism and outright Satanism that you, through a meme, are going to solve 500 years of legitimate doctrine. Right. Do me a favor. Go read Calvin's Institutes, then call right. me. Right? Like, let's actually have a... And, and, and so it, you can feel the frustration because it's like, look, I would like to be together with my brothers, but it's like there's a lot of finger pointing that, go, that goes on. And I think what you're talking about is very important. It's like, go and experience the difference and understand that different kinds of men and women will be reached by different denominations with different kind of approaches to the same essential problem, and that's okay. And if God didn't want it to be that way, he could change it in a moment's notice and stop advocating for your particular style and appreciate the different parts of the body. And I think that discussion, that discussion gets lost, and, and it, it's, it's, it feel, it, it's not personal for me, I'm, but I actually, no, actually, I take that back. I get people messaging me once a week wanting to interrogate me about why I'm not Catholic or Orthodox. Literally yeah. DMs like, I just have an honest question. And within three or four questions, they get very right. aggressive. It's like, I get this all the time. It's like, 
can we not? Can, yeah. can we can we not do this? So it, maybe we're saying some of the same. No, it's things. good. And you know, I actually, it's funny. I actually had a uh, Catholic reach out to me, and they bought me, and I cannot for the life of me remember the username. They may have been deleted by this point, but they sent mm. me, gosh, six, seven books, um, that explain the Catholic point of view. I've read, I think, three of them now, and they're they're meaty and they're deep. But it, it didn't yeah. change my mind on saying, okay, you know, hey, we all need to be Catholic. But what it did do is it gave me an appreciation for the genuineness of their perspective, that there genuinely mm-hmm. are believers in the Catholic Church that have truly been saved and put their faith in the Lord. Yeah. Now, there are people that maybe they haven't. Maybe it is, you know, just in certain acts and traditions, but there are some that truly love the Lord. There were things very wrong with the charismatic experiential things going on in many of the churches I would go to. That did not mean that my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was not real, that my salvation wasn't real, just because there were things going on in the church service that were not correct. And so I do think it's very important to, I guess, again, look, look at the big picture of the society and then down to the, to the individual, because the individual has the ability to affect the large. The individual has the ability to affect the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Protestant Church. Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform it. I've had some very good conversations with Catholics that say, you know what? Um, yeah, there, there were some things wrong at that time that we agree were wrong, but they also disagree with things that Luther taught as well. At the end of the day, I think you made a really good point. What we are facing in society, the secularism, the communism, the atheism, the feminism, all the, the bad things that we are genuinely facing. Do we have to draw a line somewhere and we have to say, you got to be this, this, and this to be on the team. But I think that, I think that the circle has got to be a little bit bigger because at the end of the day, we have a common Lord and savior. We have common enemies. We have common goals. And I would much rather, I have, I have family that is Catholic. I have family that is Orthodox. I have family that is Baptist and that is Methodist, that is Church of Christ. It's the, the whole the whole shebang, okay? I would much rather have someone in my family teach my child about the Lord Jesus Christ and teach them scripture a little bit different than me than them end up in one of these indoctrination camps called public schools yeah. and being taught that my boy is actually a girl and he needs to be castrated and they need to have an after-school Satan club. I, I know that at the end of the day, that if we need to show up and make a change in, in, in a local city or, or stand up and vote or stand up and, and protest or protect innocent people, I know that the Catholic brothers will be there. I know that they'll be there mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. And so this, this idea that we need to be aiming inward, we can do that later. We can, we can cut and we can polish yeah. and we can chip later. But right now, we need to be ensuring that there's something to chip and polish at in America 
sure, the church will stand. The gates of hell shall not prevail, but where is it going to be located? I would definitely want at least some of it to be located here in our neck of the woods because we do have a history. Our country was founded on God. Our country was founded on Jesus Christ. And there is no reason why we need to be fighting each other over the style of the church or the style of the music. We need to be, we need to be aggressive. Again, you, know, you were talking early, earlier about your eschatology and how that motivates you and that fires you, fires you up. Okay, my eschatology doesn't take any label that any, anybody has. Okay, I, I just took from the sure. scripture and, and I have a lot of questions about your eschatology that I would love to learn from you on. But at the end of the day, I would rather my children have your eschatology and my Lord and Savior than have my, than, than force, hey, it's got to be my way and we lose. Because sure. then they're not going to have either one. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like my 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 eschatology, it's a it's a stance towards reality. And I I I did a tweet on Twitter. It wasn't very popular, but I enjoyed it. I said, uh, if Jesus Those comes back, ones. right? Exactly. It's my personal favorite. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, he's going to find me at my post kicking ass. That's why yeah. I call it post millennialism because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm because I'm at my post. I got no idea. Maybe he's coming back. Maybe you know. Maybe. But you know what? I know that I have to show up every day and I have to work. And everything beyond that is beyond is beyond my pay grade. Right. But what I've what I've observed, and I think the reason why postmillennialism is important as a as an eschatology is that, from what I understand, the evangelical church is coming out of phase of of premillennialism, where it was like Jesus is coming back soon, just hide in your basement and just wait. And right. so as that went on, you know, driven by I guess the Schofield Bible and all this stuff, as that went on, you know, it allowed secularism, atheism, communism to march through the institutions. Like, well, if you're not going to take them, we'll take right. them. And so yeah. now, you know, now Doug Wilson and, and the Moscow Crew and you know Right, right. Response Ministries and Dale Partridge, all these guys, like we're leading this wave back into culture to know we're going to take this for Christ. And that's why I think it matters um, what the eschatology is. Now, I, I don't think that I, I don't think that it's a fundamental issue. In, the, right. in terms of like like the triune God or the hypostatic union or penal substitution or atonement or any other justified by faith. It's not like that. It's like when you look at reality, is your attitude as a man and as a church, is it, well, we're just going to hang back and see what happens? Or are you going to go to war for right. your, your, uh, your institutions, your culture, your country now Absolutely. with the hope of winning? And so that's yeah. why I think it matters. I agree. And so, see, in my view, is the belief that he is he is returning, that he is returning soon and in physical bodily form. I, I believe that that is absolutely hundred percent. But the Lord said, nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? And so, right. where I'm coming from, yes, it's very similar. That you better be at your post. You better be doing something with your talent, not burying it in the ground. Because when he comes back, that judgment will be very harsh. That if he finds that you just buried it, what happened to the one? He got cast out with weeping in the, where there, into the dark, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, he got cast out with the dogs. And so it's funny that we, you know, we kind of have a very different perspective there. But the, the outcome, the drive, the focus of what should be done is, is the same. Yes. And so I think that that's very important. Again, yeah, absolutely. This whole idea of just wait around. There, there's just he's he's going to fix it all one day so I don't do anything anyways is the most unbiblical garbage in the world because he he was very very clear with the commandment of what to do very clear and that if if the gospel truly can transform one person 
And that person is supposed to go out into all the world, right? Supposed to start preaching the gospel. What What is the end result of Christianity? Is that, let's say your, your friends get saved, your family gets saved. What are you supposed to do next? Well, your neighborhood is supposed to get saved. Okay, what after that? Okay, your, your block. Okay, so your, your city, are you supposed to stop preaching there? Okay, are you done? Your county, your state, your nation. Okay, so now your whole nation is saved. What does that look like? If there's a whole country where everyone knows the Lord Jesus and believes in the Lord Jesus, what's the, what are the laws going to look like in that country? What, it, what, is, what is the practical outcome of the school system in that country going to be like? Yeah. And so if we truly believe that the gospel is powerful and it is able to save, that the blood of Jesus is able to wash sins, and that people's faith in the Son of God is able to deliver them from an eternity separated from God in hell, if that is true, and that genuinely changes the way that they live on the earth, then there is no choice but to, to have the mindset of taking over. There is no choice, because that is what he came to do. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're supposed to be taking over. We're not supposed to be taken over. So I absolutely agree with you 100%. The idea of just waiting around, hoping that everything gets better one day when he returns, he'll just burn it up. It doesn't matter is insane. And it's absolutely un- unbiblical. I agree. Like what, whatever your eschatology is, does it drive you forth into the world as a man, right? If it, if it causes you to retreat, it's probably wrong. Yeah. In the same way, like in my men's group last night, you know, one of the guys in the group said like any interpretation of Christianity that makes you weak as a man and upends God's creative order, created order is not true Christianity. And because yeah. we were talking about men being um, men being selfless and allowing themselves to be essentially crucified and persecuted by whether it be their wives or, you know, communities or whatever. It's like, well, no, I just have to be selfless. I have to die to self and just let myself, you know, be, be shat upon, so to speak, pardon the yeah. French. But you know, it's like it's like, I have to I have to be meek and mild like Jesus was. Like, no, if 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 that's what whatever it is that's happening there, if if it's driving you to be upend to upend God's created order, that's not Christianity. They may call it that. Yeah. It's being used against itself. It's the same idea. Definitely. No, I I definitely agree. And it makes me think about when the Lord talked about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's so easy to accept when you hear it. It's okay to be soft. It's okay. Someone else will fix it. It'll, it'll all work out. And that mindset, it really does spread like a cancer because it's, it's, it spreads to every area. Because if it doesn't matter what I do on the earth, because Jesus is going to come, why do I need to be a good father? Why do I need to be a good husband? Because it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, where do you draw the line? It's easy to say, well, we don't need to be involved in politics because, you know, the Lord's going to save the earth. Well, how do you draw the line between your country and your neighborhood, your state, your family? Where do you draw the line and say, well, well, here's where it matters and here's where I need to show up. You show up at your job, don't you? You know, you, you, got to, you, can't just, you can't just pick and choose. Well, I'll be responsible in one area because it matters on the earth, but the other areas don't matter. Yeah. Act like you believe it, like we've been saying it the whole time. You know, act like you believe it at... at you know, at church, act like you believe it at home, act like you believe it at work, act like you believe it in your business, act like you believe it in your, in your marriage. Like if you, if what, what's the, fr- I've been saying, like, it seems like some people's faith that doesn't, doesn't touch the ground. Like, give me, give me a, a Christianity with right. dirty, with dirt under its fingernails. 
you know, where, where Definitely. is that? And I, I don't, I don't fully understand. I mean, there's, when I say I don't fully understand, it's that there are so many different reasons why I think, and I'm the new guy. Like I just walked in and was like, wow, this place is a mess. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, so as I'm trying to understand, but it seems to me that, that what I'm looking for and the kind of men that I think are really going to make a difference are the one who take their, who take their faith, take heaven and they bring it down to earth within their own homes and right within their businesses, within their, within their kitchens, within their marriages. Right. It's like, why is that? That's hard for people to do, but I don't, I don't think I quite understand why probably because it's a challenge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you have to, and see, I think this is where people's mindsets get kind of twisted on this is, is you have to pick up your cross and follow him. But the end of the cross was not death. The end of the cross was resurrection. And I think a lot of the times people have this mentality, well, I, I, I have to suffer and I have to help and I have to, but there is nothing at the end of it. It's just, this is, this is what, I, and so if I suffer, it's not going to mean anything anyways. But what they don't understand is that when Christ suffered, he resurrected. And when he resurrected, he resurrected with all power in his hand. And he was able to win our souls and many, many millions of souls because of it. And so I think a lot of times the mentality is why suffer? Because if the end of suffering is just suffering, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Let God fix it one day. But the end result of the cross was a resurrection. The end result of the cross was a disarming of the enemy. And sometimes whenever we're going through something difficult, we think it's all about us and what we're facing. But sometimes what it's doing is it's actually uprooting the power of the enemy around us. Just being the one that's willing to stand. Can you imagine being some of these people that, that are standing up in school boards and standing up you know, at, at these PTO meetings for their children because they don't want them being indoctrinated and groomed by the LGBT? They have the bullseye on them. They are the, the target of, of the enemy. I cannot imagine the level of spiritual warfare a lot of these people are, are undergoing. And a lot of times we see that on social media and we clap and say, oh, good job, hit the like button. But those people are the ones that are in the trenches actually making a difference because the end result of that, okay, just recently, people, people started pushing back against Walgreens and, and CBS for selling the abortion pill. Guess what? One of them quit. Maybe the other one will too. Why? Because people showed up. People did something in the real world. And so, like you said, yeah, we've been saying it the whole time. But the truth is, is that if it's real to you, it will manifest in every area of your life. And the truth is, God placed you right here. Wherever you are, I live in America. God placed me in America. He did that for a reason. If he placed me there, he intends for me to take ground there. He intends for more souls to be saved there. He intends for the children of this country to end up better at the end of my life than at the start of my life. That is his intention in placing me here. It wasn't by accident. He, he, know, he knows the day when I take my first breath. He knows the day when I take my last. And the time in between, he has a purpose for me. And that is where generational curses come from, is that time in between people buried the talent. People did not do what they were supposed to do in that time. And so all that stuff built up. But what if we do what we're supposed to do in this time? What if that time between matters in our life? And what if we can actually shake things so hard that the next 500, next thousand years is completely different? We've been in such a losing mentality for so long 
that we just think there's just no hope. No wonder so many people are just, well, hurry up and come back, Lord Jesus. I could see that. I could see him coming back. But if he's coming back in a few years, we better get to work because if he's coming back in a few years and he's going to judge us on whether or not we buried what he gave to us, this thing has been deep in the ground for a long time. We better get digging and we better get working and start multiplying because if that is if that is the mentality, he's coming back, look, look at the wars, look at the rumors of wars, look at the earthquakes. If that's true, then we better get our, tail, our tails in gear because, hey. This thing's been buried for generations. Yeah. This thing has been deep in the dirt. It's time to pull it out. It's time, to, it's, it's time to start working. It's time to get moving. And the facts of the matter are, our enemies have been working at this a lot longer than we have. Because we settled in. We settled in in, well, we're good. We're a Christian nation. We're solid. We're strong. Our culture is strong. Our heritage is strong. Nobody can beat America. Nobody can, nobody can topple us. Nobody. And then they came in from within and they began to work, subverting one thing at a time, one church at a time, one school board at a time, one law, one tweak, one word, one little change, one little bit of the media, one little article, one TV show, one kid's show, one little change to sex ed, make it a little earlier, make it a little younger, make it a little bit more deviant. And they've been working and working tirelessly. Let it not be said that the people of God work less tirelessly than the people of Satan. Let it not be said that we were afraid to face the gates of hell that God promised us would not prevail against us. Because if we, and, that, and that's the thing, I, I, I mean, we, people can talk about this all day, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the gates are where the city are. We're supposed to be going into the enemy's territory and winning. This idea that the gates are coming against us the whole, the whole thing is skewed. We're supposed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. We're supposed to be going out into all the world and not just simply making disciples, but getting, like I said earlier, the end result of discipleship. If you're making a disciple, everything in their life changes. And that means their politics. That means the way that they, they treat their wife, the way they treat their children, the way they, they raise their kids. Everything changes from from the way, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, giving birth at home is necessarily a Christian thing, but hey, the, the, not, way, not that you, the way that you, manage, yeah, the way that you manage your medical decisions all the way to the laws of the land, everything in your life should be shaped by that doctrine and by that experience with Christ. And you should be shaping and changing the world around you with that doctrine and with that fire. That's exactly why I went out to do evangelical. Uh, street ministry at the Super Bowl. That's exactly where I did that. Because like, look, thousands of people passed by. Thousands of people passed by. But like, who am I if the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, the biggest sporting event, one of the biggest sporting events in the entire world, probably the World Cup is bigger. But the Super Bowl is coming to my town. It's about, it was 30 minutes that way. Who am I if yeah. I'm not going to go there where millions of people, like 2 million people were in town in Phoenix that weekend because the Phoenix Open was the same weekend. So two, like a million people came to town for the Super Bowl. A million people came to town for the golf tournament. You know, so my church went over yeah. the golf tournament. I went to the Super Bowl. Members of the church went to both. And it was like, who am I if I'm not actually going to show up and preach the gospel to these people at the center of the sports world today for that very, for that very reason, right? And it was, it, was a, it was a great time. It was a great time. It wasn't confrontational. It wasn't anything like that. But it's like, this is, yeah. you know, the, like. I believe this, you know, and and, right. and, I, and, and I feel called to act yeah. like I believe it 
and to you know to cast fishers of men right to cast lions into the water maybe you'll catch one maybe some maybe who knows maybe someone took a someone took a brochure or a tract and they're going to they're going to send an email later but this is what this is what we're called to do this is what it means to to conquer that doesn't mean that I'm going to go charging down there with a sword and a horse and you know win win the super bowl for christ but it means that I'm going to be out there preaching the gospel in the least friendly place to the gospel you know, in the sunlight at that particular time of day, let's say, you know, because I was, what was right behind where we were set up was, um, was what Flavortown, that chef, you know, that chef, yeah, it was, it was his, I can't remember his name right now. It's not Gordon Ramsay. It's some other guy. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah. like he, he is, his whole Super Bowl event was like right behind us. You know, see so preaching wow. the gospel at Flavortown. <laughs> I got to remember that one. That's a story for the kids, but that's what we're called to do. You know, podcasts, content, Instagram, our lives, our churches, our bodies, our homes, our families, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and see, the enemies of God, they show up. They will show up at the place wanted and make the most ruckus. And, you know, my wife was actually on a, a live stream recently, and they were asking her some of these things. And she was actually made a really great point. And I'm trying to think exactly how she phrased it. Um, they, they were talking about winning the culture or changing laws. And she was saying that what she admires about the left is that they are never satisfied. Right. They don't spend a lot of time rejoicing when they get a win. They instantly say it's not good enough. Yeah. So let's say that they make a win for pushing the abortion window a little bit bigger. They instantly say, but that's not good enough. How dare you not do more? Let's say they push the window on the LGBT. It's it, okay. We just want to get married. It's none of your business what we do in our bedroom. We just want to get married. Love is love. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Now we, you have to have this on, on movies. You have to have this and TV shows. You have to have this in schools. Yeah. That's not good enough. Now transgenderism, that's not good enough. Now you have to celebrate it. Now if you, if you don't support it, if you don't bake the cake, if you don't, it's never good enough. And in the same way, their mentality is constantly taking ground. And the same way we should say, you know what? This is great, fantastic. But how many people are still rejoicing over the Supreme Court ruling on abortion? That's not good enough. Right. It's not enough. We have to continue pressing. We have to continue pushing. And I really think that when we embrace and embody that lifestyle, like I said earlier, always, not necessarily always on, but always ready, always ready to flip the switch on. When we embrace that and we truly begin to lead in this way, where you know what? Here's an opportunity. I know we had a win last week, but that's not good enough. Here's an opportunity to flip the switch. We flip it on. That is going to make the difference. That is going to shift it. And you know, just to kind of bring that all full circle back, that makes the difference in your family. That builds trust in your marriage. That builds trust between you and your wife. That makes your children look up and in and, and awe at you and admiration of you saying, I want to be like daddy. I want to marry. I cannot tell you how many times it's almost, almost daily. I mean, it's all the time. My oldest daughter always tells me, daddy, I want to marry a man like you. I want him to be just like you. And she says, she asked me the other day, daddy, do you think that there's a man like you out there? 
Because sometimes I wonder if there is. I wonder if there's a man like you out there. And I said, honey, I know God has somebody planned for you. Absolutely. And you know what? He better be better. <laughs> he better be better. And that, that's everything. When, when, when my daughter sees that I'm there, that I show up, I may not be perfect, but I, but I show up. When, when she needs something, when my wife needs something, when my family needs something, she sees. She sees that I'm tired. She sees that sometimes I'm worn out, but I show up. That is building something in her of confidence. She's not going to have any question, are there good godly men on this earth? She's going to know it. And it's not going to be an intellectual thing. She's going to have experienced it. And if we can repeat this enough and enough men, enough families, winning our country is inevitable. There is no chance we won't win. And like you, like you had said earlier, we like the flashy win. We, we, we like things to happen right away. We, like you said, TikTok generation, things going viral. We want it now. But if we can embrace the real, slow, developmental grind of manhood, because at the end of the day, we need strong men. I think it was the Apostle Peter that said, be strong, act like men. Act like men. God told Job, whenever he was questioning Job, prepare yourself like a man, because I'm going to ask some questions of you and you better be ready to answer. There is a grit that is the opposite of effemacy, that is the opposite of weakness, that is strong, that is firm, that demands an answer, that has an answer, that shows up and is willing and ready to act. Because men act, act like men, men act. And when you are, this concept of being exhausted and always being on, that's not what I'm talking about. Being ready to flip the switch and move for your family. If enough men are doing that, the country's won. It's over. We win. Because if enough men are standing in the gap saying, not my child, not my daughter, not my son, not my wife, not my marriage, not my grandchildren, not my future, not their school, not our hometown, no, not, not our area. If enough men do that, it's over. It's over. And then hopefully we'll have the courage to instill the same in our grandchildren so that they can keep it. Because we, we need to break this cycle. We talk a lot about this cycle, about hard times creating strong men, strong men creating good times, good times creating weak men, weak men creating. And I think a lot of that comes down to we have lost this concept of handing manhood on to our sons. Yeah. They're being on a trial period of struggle and they achieve the manhood. Because if there was some kind of created hard time that says, now you're a man because you've achieved this, maybe we could keep those good times. Maybe if we had enough to say, and that the stuff they shove down our throat all the time, oh, this person's evil, that person's evil, you know, regret your history, regret, regret yourself. What if one day our children are sitting in schools and they're seeing where we are now? And they're seeing this is what happens when godlessness reigns in a country. These are the videos that they're watching in their history classes. And they're seeing how the people of God conquered their heritage, their culture, their history, their church, their, their freedom back once again. And they see you know, these propaganda videos of, oh, if this happens, this is so bad. They will see what happens. 
whenever just a little yeast is allowed to spread. And maybe, just maybe, we can end the cycle. We can end the cycle of hard times and we can have another golden era here in our country, maybe in our lifetime, but if not in our grandchildren's lifetime. But we have to be willing to embrace the hard now, not because it's hard, not the cross for the sake of the cross, but the cross for the sake of the resurrection. Because Jesus said, the the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There is a joy that will come after what we're in right now, but we have to finish going through. We can't go around. We can't sleep in. We can't bury it. We, if we go through, we will see that joy. Even if we just see it on the horizon, like Moses, he didn't go into the promised land, but he saw his people go in. If all we do is see it on the horizon, our children and grandchildren will live in that joy. And if we can keep our eyes on that joy that is set before us and endure and press through, and believe and be be strong act like men we will achieve that joy we will win back what was lost and i think even more i think that we will get even more than what was lost and like i said our children will know and they will fight against we're not going to let not one inch not one grain of sand slip out of our hands because we we will show them this is what happens when you allow that it sounds good. It's flowery language, but this is that slippery slope, and they're going to say no way. Mm. What time are your services at your church, and when can I attend? <laughs> I don't currently pastor one. Okay. When 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 is that going to change? Because that was like that was one of the best sermons I've heard. I listened to a lot of them. That was fantastic. I mean, I don't mean, and I don't mean to make light of it because I agree with everything you're saying. You know, I think it's really, it's it's really important that men hear that message. That they that they get like no this is this is war and you are warriors and you are called to fight and where you are called to fight might not be as clean cut so to speak as with a sword and I think that's what's frustrating to a lot of men I know it's frustrating to a lot of men they want they want an actual physical battlefield something concrete kinetic that they can go and they can walk on and they can you know they they can fire bullets or draw a sword because that's that makes sense. But that's not the war that we're in, and it's probably not the war that we're ever going to get in. You have to get real comfortable with the notion of spiritual war and that the warfare that we're fighting is much more ambiguous and that it shows up in your everyday choices. It shows up in you know the, the media that you consume. It shows up in your prayer time. It shows up in all these different places that we've talked about. That is the war. And if you're constantly waiting you know, to use like a fallout shelter or all the ammo that you have stored up for that moment when the battle crystallizes, you're missing the battle right now. We, right. you know, and but but a lot of men they they can't get to that degree of resolution about it, which is like, you know, okay, more for me, I suppose. But like, there's a then we all have to be banding together in this regard. Absolutely, and honestly, I think a lot of that is that it's easy to think about how you will sacrifice in the future. It's hard to actually sacrifice now. Yeah, and I've talked about this before when it comes to marriage and loving your wife. It's easy to say, I'll die for her. I'd lay my life down for her. That's easy. But are you willing to do that now? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the red pill guys and stuff might might jump all over that. I'm not talking about her ruling over you and having having her way all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. No. What I'm talking about, are you willing to be the one that encounters the dangerous, hard things of life first? and get hit and get beat up by those things 
and still turn back and look at her with a smile and say, everything's just fine, baby. Everything is going according to plan. This is awesome. Are you able to do that? Because it's easy to say, well, yeah, if that day comes and that moment somebody pulls a knife or somebody pulls a gun, I'll definitely give my life for it. That's easy to say. It's a lot harder to actually give your life in the moment. And that really the truth is, is if you won't give your life now for your wife, then there's no way you would give your life then. If you're not willing to give up a moment of temporary pleasure to ensure that your marriage is rock solid, then you would not give up your heartbeat to ensure that your wife lives on. And that same way goes with this whole idea of the country and everything else. It's easy to imagine, well, one day I'll show up and be the hero, but you won't pray now. You won't speak up now. You won't show up to events or, or petition or do anything. You won't even sign something on the internet right now. Like there, Have some sort of action. It's easy to say, well, voting doesn't matter. And these petitions don't matter. And I understand and I empathize and I see the frustration of how so many things where we've tried and it didn't work out and people you know, backstabbed us or they, they weren't everything they said to be. I understand that. But the only way anything has ever won is through a tireless, consistent, focused group that just will not quit. And it really starts in your own heart and your own soul. And that will manifest in your marriage and it will manifest in your home. And again, if enough men are doing that, there is a chance, a very good chance that that will manifest in our entire country. And I understand the alternatives. I understand the other propositions. And listen, we homestead. We, we, we believe in being able to take care of our family and provide. I see the problems with the supply chain. I see all of those things. But wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be glorious if we could have a country better than the one that we look back at in nostalgia? That is only possible. You're never going to stand up and defend anything in the future in some grand moment if you won't stand up and defend it now. And that's just the facts. That, that's, that's just the facts. It's, it's a cop-out and it's weakness, and it's in the heart of every man, the desire to cop out and take the easy way out. And that is what Judas did, and that is what Satan tempted Jesus with. He said, all these, all these nations can be your, yours if you just bow down and worship me. You can have them without going through the cross. And Jesus has them and is going to have them because from every tribe, tongue, tongue, and nation is going to be around that throne. He is going to get them anyways. He is going to rule them anyways. But he was offering him a way to rule them or to have them without going through difficulty. And the only thing he had to give up was everything to his enemy. And that is what's happening right now is people are being offered. If you, you can have it all, you can have it all. You, you can have it without going through hardship. But all you got to do is just give it all up to your enemy. And the facts are, it's the, the future does belong to those who show up. When people will show up and stand, you don't know anything else to do, stand. That is how you cause the enemy to flee from you. That is how you cause any battle to be won. That is how you prove to your family that everything's going to be okay in the midst of hell and darkness. That is how anything is won. I cannot tell you how many times in my own life, 
where there was literally no hope. There was no way this was going to pull through. Whatever the situation was, it was not going to happen. But simply standing and saying, no, this is going to work. God is going to bless us. I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to pray in faith. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to encourage my family. We're going to go at this with 100%. And faster than I could have ever imagined, God pulled through. He did every single, every single time. Every single time. And I believe, I believe it. I believe that if the yeast of our enemies can spread fast, I believe all so much more the yeast of the kingdom of heaven can spread fast. But somebody's got to be willing to throw it around and somebody's got to be willing to keep doing it and not quit. And I, I think that's what's happening. I think that's us. I think that's the men listening to this podcast, their wives, their families. I really believe that we are at a turning point, but it's going to take a lot of consistency and a lot of grit to face this thing down longer than the TikTok generation wants to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to be able to dig our feet into the ground and stand. And and I, I love what you said. I wanted to ask a quick question. Um, you said um, it's it's never it's never good enough, and I agree with you. Just just uh, I, I think that's a fan like that, that's something that Christian men need to adopt. You know, is to say that when we get a win, no, it's it's not it's not enough. It's not enough to keep pushing and keep pushing. So let's. I want to because I want to peel that idea away from. No one cares. Work harder, right? Because because you you've seen in the space where it's like congratulations, you know, you got a big win. You still suck, you know. But but like obviously that's not the spirit that you're talking about. So I want to see if we can peel those two ideas apart. That there's a way in which, yeah, no, keep pushing for more. But don't fail to rejoice over your victory as well. Right. No, I think that's a that's a great point. And um, I understand where people are coming from when they say that. When they say no one cares, work harder. And they say that whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear your troubles. There is some truth to that. As a man, yeah. you are going to go through some stuff. And honestly, nobody wants to hear a man whine. I mean, nobody does. But work harder in that sense, is not always the solution. Sometimes work faithfully, work consistently is the solution. Sometimes it's, I planted my carrot seeds, I don't see carrots. The response, nobody cares, work harder, doesn't work. It's continue to water what you planted and trust the process. Yeah, And so, like you said, to peel that away with, with what we're talking about, I think that it's not that you didn't do good enough. It's that a constant attitude of forward motion, not that the forward motion we've had doesn't matter. It's not saying it's not good enough to us. It's saying it's not good enough to our enemies. It's They've had us Mm. too long on our knees pleading to not take any more away from us. That is where our enemies should be. That is where they should be. They Mm. should be saying, please don't take more from us. Right now you have people on school boards saying, let's make it where Christians can't be hired to be teachers at these schools. Now, imagine the way that would go if you had someone Christian saying, let's not allow 
homosexuals to be hired at our school to be teachers. Now, of course, people always say, oh, well, imagine what it would be on the other side. That's the whole point. It should be the other way on the other side. We should yeah. not just say, oh, I can't believe the hypocrisy. Then let's level the playing field. Let's make it level. Let's give the same amount of intensity and aggression and seriousness and forward motion to our purpose and our cause as these people who are clearly mentally unwell and filled with Satan and filled with rage do towards us and our innocent children. And so it's not the idea of nobody cares, work harder, what you did wasn't good enough, you didn't gain enough ground. We're not saying it to our people. We're saying, hey, thanks for the land, give me more. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the tribute. That wasn't good enough. So it's really towards our enemies and not towards ourselves. So that's the kind of the, 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 the change of mindset that I would say is within ourselves, we should be rejoicing. Of course they rejoice. You know, they, they, they love, they love it whenever they take ground. But they turn towards us and instantly say, you better give me more. That's not good enough. We need an earlier abortion. We need, you know, more rights. We need you know, we need, we need your kids getting castrated without your consent, you know, in third grade at the school on site that they're trying to push it as far as they can. And so that's really the, the change of mindset there is it's not so much looking at ourselves and say, you didn't do good enough. It's looking at our enemies and saying, you didn't give enough to us. We're going to take more ground. We're not satisfied with, with not with ourselves. We're not satisfied with what you've given us. Give us more. Because that is the very mentality they have had towards us. They are never satisfied with what we offer as a peace offering. We should be the same way with them. We should say they've proven very clearly they have no interest in peace. They have no interest in compromise. They have no interest in a level playing field or meeting us halfway. We should be the absolute same way. Look at, look at each other, congratulate each other, encourage each other, rejoice, praise the Lord, have a celebration, go out and have, have a great night out. And then the next day, hit it hard again and demand your enemy gives more. It makes me think about the thief in the Old Testament. When the thief was caught, he had to pay back seven times more. Mm-hmm. They've stolen something from us, and it's not good enough to just give it back. You've got to pay interest on it. But, but Lawson, we're, we're Christians. We're supposed to love our enemies. And so, what, yeah, what I would say to that is multifold. But it, with my eschatology, um, Jesus mm-hmm. is coming to judge the nations with fire. And the blood will be as high as the horse's mouth for miles. He is the one that pours out the bowls and rips the seals off of scrolls. He is the one where the enemies of God, the wicked men in high places, will be begging for the mountains to fall down and cover them to save them from the wrath of the Lamb. That is who they will be begging to be saved from the wrath of the Lamb, and he will press the winepress of the wrath of God on his enemies. Yes, he told us to turn the other cheek, but he is talking about a people in a society the people you deal with, your neighbors, your, your co-workers, your friends, your enemy within society that irks you and frustrates you. He's talking about an insult and not, not stirring things up even worse. He's not talking about someone trying to kill you because the, the God that said, turn the other cheek, that is the word made flesh. And the word in text tells us that there is punishment 
for evil. Now, it's interesting. So many people tell us, well, you know, the woman caught in adultery. What did he do? He, he let her go and said, go sin more, no more. Okay, that's great. But at the end of the day, they were breaking the law. They could not stone her because if she was caught in the act, where's the man? They're supposed to stone them both at the same time. And so they're trying to catch Jesus in breaking the law and say, see, he's a false teacher for breaking the law. Jesus never mm-hmm. said that there is not punishment for evil. In fact, Paul, the apostle of grace, tells us that government is the minister of God and does not wield the sword in vain, but he wields the sword for the purpose of punishing the evildoer. And so on, they say, well, we're not the government. Well, if you truly believe in making disciples of all nations, and as I said earlier, your friends get saved, your neighbors get saved, all the way to your whole state gets saved, your whole nation gets saved, that means every politician gets saved. So what kind of laws are those politicians supposed to pass? And if those politicians are Christians, and they are the government, and they are supposed to be God's minister, then those Christian politicians are, by God's order, supposed to be wielding the sword in order to punish evildoers. So there's no way to get out of this. As Christians, our God is both a man of war and he is the kind shepherd. And that is what we are supposed to embody in our life. I think the problem is we keep trying to make it one or the other, just like the issue of doctrine or fire, experience or tradition. Both. God is a loving God and he's an all-consuming fire. He is the one that breathed life into the nostrils of Adam. And he is the one that is going to scorch the heavens and the earth and melt the very elements themselves before he makes a new heaven and a new earth. That is the God that we serve. He's the conquering king, and he's the merciful savior as the Lamb of God dying on a cross, ripped to shreds to save the world that he loved. That's who he is. And that's how we're supposed to be as men. We're supposed to be full of fire and vigor and also tender compassion to protect the innocent and the soft and the gentle. We're supposed to be protecting these little ones. And if you truly, listen, yeah, the Bible, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. You're also supposed to love your neighbor. Are you loving your neighbor if you let your enemy rape your neighbor? Are you loving your neighbor if you let them ransack your, your, your neighbor's house and burn it to the ground and kill their children? At what point do you draw the line? And that is the very kind of, I know you're not, obviously you're, you're mocking it, but that's the very kind of virtue signaling and evil yeast that has worked its way into the minds of Christians because we've been apathetic. And we've been too apathetic to not read our own scriptures and wrestle and fight over what it actually says. That's our problem. We take nice little cliches from Christian preachers and nice little cliches from people on like Oprah, and we just devour it and say, I accept it. I accept because we're too lazy to read our own holy book for ourselves when we have it right here in front of us. It's very clear. God is very clear. He is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Jesus Christ, like I said before, John chapter one tells us in the beginning was the word. That word was God. He was with God and he was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. And that word became flesh. So if the word became flesh is Jesus and Jesus was in the beginning with God making everything, then Jesus is the same God that created the heavens and the earth. He's the same God that placed Adam in the garden. He's the same God that gave the law to Moses. He's the same God that ripped the earth open and swallowed up people in the rebellion against Moses. He's the same God that allowed Elijah and Elijah to call down fire from heaven. He's that same God. 
And what's interesting is our enemies will say, oh, he's a God of genocide and he's done all these evil and he's, and he's killed all these people. And at the same time, he'll, they'll point at us and tell us, turn the other cheek. So which is it? Is he a God that will punish his enemies or is he a God that tells us to turn the other cheek? And the truth is he is both. And man was created in his image and we are to embody both. There is a time for everything under the sun. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time for both. And the, the honest truth is, is people trying to choose one or the other in everything. The pendulum sling is the problem. The holistic man will get up in the middle of the night and encourage his little baby who, who's crying for no reason, his infant, and love them. Will hug his little children and make them feel secure and safe in daddy's strong arms. And will, will care for his wife's feelings and concerns and, and, and encourage her and love her through her fears. And at the same time, will stand up against evil and give his life if necessary and protect them physically, protect them in, in, in any way, any harm that would come. And this concept that we have, you know, we have, again, all these, these extremes, the pendulum, you've got the red pill mentality, walk all over your woman, walk all over your children, who cares? You don't need to be there for your kids. And then you've got the other extreme mentality that, that it's like just bend over backwards. We, in the church, we call it servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Do whatever your wife wants, because if you're not, you're not serving her. You're not caring for her. Do whatever your children want, because if you tell them no, you're not being loving to them. Both are wrong. You should be a strong man that can make a decision and stick to it. And you should be there and understand when your baby is weeping and doesn't know what's going on. And hey, baby, it's okay. I love you. Daddy's here. That is who God is. He is a good father. He is the one. Jesus is the one that said, don't mess with these little children. Don't harm them. Don't offend these little ones. Because if you do what I am going to do to you, it would be better for you to have a thousand pound stone tied around your neck and you be thrown in the ocean and drown than what I am going to do to you. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is the Jesus. Jesus is saying to, 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 to these people, he's saying, hey, it's going to be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than it will be for you. He's being very clear, very explicit. Sodom burned in fire and brimstone. He's saying, their judgment at the end of time will be easier than yours for not believing in me. And so this whole mentality that Jesus is just this wimp that bent over backwards and took take whatever, he only, he only was like a lamb to the slaughter once. His entire ministry, yeah. he was back talking, he was talking smack, he was rebuking, he was doing miracles, he was doing everything that he wanted to do, no matter what anybody thought. His disciples, he said, unless you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you have no part in me. They said, oh, this, some people said this is too hard. They leave. He turns to his disciples. Are you leaving too? He didn't apologize. He didn't explain it away. Are you leaving too? And that is the Jesus we serve. The Jesus that sits for a couple of hours weaving a whip in anger about to drive some merchants out of the house of God. That is the Savior that we serve. And so he's both. And so that would be, I know that, that was a very long-winded answer, but it That's fires great. me up because the idea that we can strip entire attributes of God because it makes us uncomfortable for the sake of our enemies is one of the most evil things the church has ever accepted. And we have to drive it out 
of ourselves and out of our churches. It's unacceptable because our God is both. He's absolutely both. I agree. And we're called to be both. And, and I think, I think um, one of the things that's really important is that Satan understands Christianity better than we do. Right, like, and so, and so, as you're under, as you're explaining all the different poisons that have crept into the church, it's like, yeah, because our enemy's pretty clever, right? And he he he's able to see and understand at a, a much different level. So he's able to take these beautiful aspects of God and of Christianity and of God's character and us made in His image and turn them against each other, so that you surface the contradiction between, like, well, is our God a God of genocide or is our God the one who turns the other cheek? It turns these two aspects, it puts them in opposition. Or it's like, no, you're a god of genocide, you know, when it's convenient in that right. way. Or you're a god that, you know, turns the other cheek when it's convenient in that way, as opposed to us being able to embody the duality of that and understanding that, yeah, and I've said it many times, it is an enormous ask as a man to have to embody both of those things. Absolutely. But the moment calls for men who care enough to learn how to embody both those aspects, practice at it work at it and to become it. That's what the moment is calling for. Do you want to be a man who lives up to that standard or not? Not to be one or the other, not to be the always, you know, the always hard, rigid, you know, again, the no one cares, work harder guy, or not to be the soft, you know, pushover servant leader, which is to say lead by serving, right? You have to somehow embody both and you have to work that out and no one can spoon feed it to you. You have to try it in your own life. You have to root yourself and try and make mistakes and get up and try again. That's everything that we're talking about, enduring the discomfort to build something so that you can become a man of worth and a man of value that passes things on down the generation. It's everything that we've been talking about the entire time embodied right there in the character of God and going to war for the kingdom here on earth right now. It's all right there. I love that. I love that. And you know, it makes me think there are probably some men out there that will more easily lean towards one or the other. Um, yeah, of course. It's way easier. It just comes natural to be strong, you know, strong-willed, hard-headed, you know, put your foot down. This is how it's going to be. And some men, it's going to be a lot easier to be understanding and be patient. And But that doesn't excuse you from walking through the process of embracing the other. And that's what's beautiful is that that, that process of going from being the guy who's super understanding and super sweet and all this, you're going to be great at handling your kids, right? In some ways, but when it comes to setting boundaries and telling them, this is the rule in this house and this is how it's going to be and disciplining them, you may struggle with that. And then on the other hand, you may have no problem with that, but you may have a problem with backing a little bit off of that and saying, okay, my child is really struggling in their heart right now, and they need daddy's hugs and love and understanding. Both are masculine, yeah. are needed. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then that son is the one that comes back to the world, whatever, however you want to phrase it, and judges it. He came and he saved. He's going to come and judge. Both are necessary. And I think that it's easy, maybe it's easier, and while we have so many factions, it's easier to say, well, I've got this right, and this comes easy for me, so that's manhood, and kind of lift ourselves mm -hmm. up and say, well, you know, I'm aggressive, and I'm masculine, and I know how to fight, and I know how to make good money and all that, so that's what an alpha, that, that's what being a man is all about. 
you know, all that other yeah. stuff. That's just, you know, that's just being a pushover. Well, on the other hand, it's like, well, leading your family and making sure that they're healthy in their mind and in their soul, that comes easy to me. So all that other stuff, that's fake. That's just, that's, you know, that's just, that's, that's over the top, but both are absolutely essential, absolutely essential because at the end of the day, you need both. I need both. We need both from God, our father, because if all he was, if all he was, was a taskmaster that demanded more of you. And here's the rules. What's your chance to be saved? What's your hope of salvation? He had to love and give exactly zero. Yeah. And yeah. what if he was the other? And people try to push him as both. What if all he was was just greasy grace, merciful, it doesn't matter, it's all good. He wouldn't be a God worth following. He would not be a God worth worship because he's so wishy-washy, you can just run all over him. But the full embodiment of who he truly is, which is completely beyond our, our understanding to fully understand, but we can see a reflection. We are the image. A man fully embodied in a holistic way, living out true biblical masculinity will reflect both. And the process is going to be hard because you are coming from a fallen man seeking, because that image is messed up, but you're seeking to become more like the image of Christ now. And how wonderful that he's given us all these tools. He's given us his example. He's given us the teaching of the apostles. He's given us the scripture. He's given us so much. And we may not have many in this generation, the daddy that we need. We may not have the grandpa that we need, but you know what we do have? We have a history of people who were good fathers. You don't have to go that far back in history. We've got a window right now that's really screwed up and they screwed it up fast. But before that, there were a lot of good men. And why do you think they're trying to demonize them so much? Why do you think that anyone that ever accomplished anything in our history, in our nation, in our church, in our culture, anyone that achieved anything great is demonized because they don't want you to achieve anything great. Don't you dare get the idea that you could be like them. Don't you dare get the idea that you could actually stand up for yourself and make a difference. No, those people are evil. But I, but I guarantee you, this is going to backfire on them because at some point men are going to say, I am sick of pretending. I'm sick of putting up a facade. I'm sick of acting. I've got it all together. I'm alpha, but my family screwed up. I'm sick of saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm loving, but I can never be assertive and move my family forward. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of, of the, of the life that our country's living. I'm sick of it. And at some point that's going to cause each one of us to look inward and say, enough is enough. I am going to endure this hard thing right now for the joy that's set before me. I'm going to endure this so that I can get the outcome on the other end of it. At that point, it's game over. It's end game. But each of us have to almost separate ourselves from that bigger picture for a moment and take personal responsibility because it takes each of us taking personal responsibility for that corporate issue, for that larger, bigger issue that will make the larger corporate body healthy and strong again. And I mean, this is it right here. This is it right here. Like you said, it's on Instagram. It's in person at the Super Bowl. It's at home with your wife. It's, it's, it's all of it. It's every piece of it. And my encouragement is, again, to get away from that, no one cares, work harder. 
we are in the midst of that right now. This is not just something that's coming. This is happening right now. And you can get in on this. Like This is something that anybody listening right now, you can get in on this. You can say, hey, today, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm getting in on this. I don't have a clue how to love my wife right. I don't have a clue how to be assertive. I don't have a clue how to run a business. I don't have a clue how to preach the gospel. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I'm doing this. And you know what? If you have that attitude and you start surrounding yourselves with, with, with people of like mind and brothers that will encourage you, and you'll start surrounding yourself with mentors and get, get the junk off of your Instagram page that you, you, know, you really shouldn't be following those accounts and those kind of things, doomer mentality and the, the, you know, the slutty chicks and all this other crap that you're following that's feeding your mind with nonsense. Maybe turn off the Xbox a little bit and just take some time to sit and listen just see what you hear, just see what happens. You could literally be the man that you wish your daddy was. That is who you could be. Like this is happening right now. Something is shifting in our country right now and you can be a part of it, but you have to have the courage to face. You have to have the courage. It's not just work harder. Have the courage to face it and to stick it out. This is the renaissance of men. Like literally that's Amen. what, you know, it's happening. It's Amen. happening worldwide. It's happening in America. It's happening in this conversation. It's happening in millions of men's lives around the world. It was, and it's been happening long before we got here. It's been going on for 40 Absolutely. years and we're, we're now the inheritors of this moment of it. We're finally 40 years of, um, I guess we're reframing the rhetoric, sharpening the, the sharp point. And now it's like, and now it's a, it's a finely honed edge. That's finally where it needs to be, which is which is Christ, which is where you have to really, and this is what my new age presentation was about. It's about we're fighting against a female God, the new age, the new world order. They, they have, they worship a female God. And I proved that all throughout the presentation. And that's why, and it's designed specifically to undercut the notion of a, of a, of a father God. And so only the reassertion of a father God is the proper way, you know, a proper place to stand period. There's no third position. Right. And, and so yeah. as men begin to discover that very slowly and it lands in their bodies, like, wow, I can put my feet down on this. Yes, you can. And yes, you have to. And, and I think that where a lot of men are afraid is, I think, where the battle will actually show up is in um, men and women and learning to reorganize their relationship to each other. We're like, no, you spent the past 60 years talking about how awful the patriarchy is. And now the patriarchy has finally showed up because we, we being the, the gracious men that we were, were like, okay, patriarchy, we can hear, we can, I feel that you're suffering and you're not happening. So here, have this, have this, have this. Okay. Now the patriarchy is here. We've given you too much. And that's, and that's right. going to really start yeah. showing up. And a lot of, I know for a fact, it's showing up in men's lives where it's like, Hey, Absolutely. guess what? We let it go too long. And uh, you said it wasn't enough. You said it wasn't enough. And then it finally became too much. And now your line of credit has been extended closing the credit cards and and now uh, now look what you did right and and but for men to right. get comfortable with that to get comfortable and you know again to bring it all the way back to the very beginning this is what you are being called as a man to do meaning you Lawson meaning me all of us is like you have to lead in that moment that is what you are being called to do lead your wife in birth lead you know against CPS showing up at your door lead 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 at all these different contexts now's the moment. Literally right now, we are the leading edge of this wave of, of this rebirth, this redemption of masculinity. Everything I talk about, you just talked about in, in, in the things you just said. I mean, it's, it's glorious to be looking at these, these phenomena 
through our, through our different lenses in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, I'm curious and I'm, I'm so glad, um, I know we, ha- we hadn't talked before and I think you're the only person speaking at the digital conference who I hadn't actually spoken to in person, but there was something about your, um, about your content that, that to me really said determination and, and thank you for proving me right over the past couple hours. So I want to, I want to yeah. know, um, I wonder if you could give a little sneak preview of some of the things you're going to talk about or some of the ideas that you're going to explore. Um, because I mean, everything that you've said just feeds right into that. And that's the word that's been coming up for me over and over again. Absolutely. And so I, I definitely was, was kind of doing a little bit of that during this talk, but the one thing Perfect. that I would say is you have to choose what you want to become. So that whole idea of choosing and determining, having determination, it's a choice. And you cannot become something unless you're willing to go through something. But you can't go through it if you haven't decided what the outcome will be. If you're not set that I'm going to get A, B, and C at the end of this, then you're not willing to go through. Because the word determine kind of has two meanings. It's almost like we almost use it as a synonym for drive. Mm-hmm. Like I have, I have determination, but it's also a choice. And those two go hand in hand. I, I determine, do I want to buy apples? Do I want to buy oranges, right? It's a choice. But you cannot get the end if you're not willing to go through. But all that is predicated upon you choosing, this is what I truly want to be, and this is what I truly want to have. And so that is what I'll be diving deeper into here at, at the event here later this month. That's fantastic. And, and you, you, uh, you highlighted something in, in the spec that I gave you that even I didn't think of. There comes a moment in man's life where he chooses, says, this is what I'm going to become. I was thinking of determination when I wrote that in terms of drive, but you surfaced that. No, you're right. I determine what I'm going to become. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, really look, I'm really looking forward to it. So am I. It's going to be a great time. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this has been, um, this has been a real blessing to me. And, and uh, the, the fire, thank you for breathing fire into <laughs> me. No, really, I, I, I appreciate it um, because I think we all, we all need men in our lives that, um, that breathe fire into us because it's going to take a lot of fire for us to, to, for us to you know, let's say, uh, Go over this next hill. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, it's, it's been encouraging to me as well because it's easy to see all these different accounts on Instagram. You're like, okay, they're doing something cool. They're doing something good. But when you really get to communicate with someone and, and both of us sharing, I feel like there's been a common exchange of sharing our hearts and sharing that drive and that determination and that fire and that why, that reason why behind yeah. There, there's a, there's it, iron does sharpen iron. There's a mutual encouragement that happens, a mutual edification, and so yeah, man, this has been incredible. And I hope that everyone listening, this has been the same for them, because you know it's easy to also to listen to people and say, well, they're content creators, but you're in the same fight. You're in the same. We we need you. We we need we need you. We need each and every one of you because. At the end of the day, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, it's a battleground. We need people there, but we need you 
in your house with your family, boots on the ground, leading your heart, leading your family in the ways of the Lord. If you're not married, preparing for that. We we need you because you know there's no way we can do this as you know one man show or like a single group here and there. Like you said, this is the this is happening all over the world, and it's like you said, it's been happening for a while. We need each and every one of us to continue it for it to be effectual. Well, thank you so much, man. That was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing a lot more and, and sharing more with the men uh, in a couple of weeks. So um, in the meantime, where, where, where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Lawson Speaks Truth. Uh, I got a new Twitter now. That's Lawson underscore speaks. They don't quite give you as much room for a handle on Twitter, but that's Lawson Speaks Truth at Instagram and Lawson underscore speaks on Twitter. Uh, my wife and I both uh, have a community membership you can check out. Uh, just click the link in my bio on either one of those and you can find that. But we produce a podcast. It's all right there in the link in the bio. Excellent. Did you lose your last Twitter? No, I, I never really got into Twitter. And... Um, I, you know, I think I had one and I think it got deleted just from just lack okay. of use. But uh, since the whole new spur again, I thought, well, you know, let's jump on and give it a shot. Excellent. Well, I have to, I'll have to give you a few retweets and, and get you up on the whole Twitter game. I appreciate it. All right, cool, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.